The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. I don't know if you can hear my na- my neighbours' gardeners are in, they're making quite a... They, they were actually in my yard when I got home this morning, I went for a walk, what? went down to get coffee, and there was these gardeners, <laughs> like, in my yard, like, and it turned out that our next door neighbour, this is how well our next door neighbour knows us, she's never here, but her place is kept pristine, right? You know, she has the gardeners, the pool cleaners, the whatever, and even if she's not around for two weeks, they come in and they do their job. And obviously there's some shit from our yard that's overhanging in her yard. Yeah. And she didn't want to just do like give someone half a haircut. <laughs> so like she'd sent her gardeners into our yard and they like worked in our yard for like 45 minutes, like <laughs> trimming my edges and shit just because our neighbor obviously wanted them trimmed. How come like in horror films, you know, when there'll be that creepy house on the street with the weird trees and all run down and stuff. How come the neighbors just don't do the same thing? Like it wouldn't be the creepy house in the neighborhood if... If horror films had considerate neighbours like yours. I mean, that's a good point because yeah. my next door neighbour on the other side mows the the front, like the, the lawn on the street. What do you call that? The nature strip. Because I don't <laughs> What have... do you call that? <laughs> uh, I don't have a mower. Well, I have an electric mower, like a plug-in lawn mower because yeah, I only dumb. have this, I only have this tiny little bit of grass out here outside the office and so it's not really enough that you need like a proper lawn mower. Is it one of those? I had one of those. Was it is it one that you got to have the cord plugged in or is it a battery one? Yeah, you got to have the cord plugged in. It's so annoying. Well, like, this is why I can't. This is why I can't do the nature strip because yeah, right. the cord doesn't go long enough for me to do the nature strip. So occasionally, I think when my neighbours are just getting a bit pissed off, they'll leave it like you know they'll do theirs and then it's kind of just long on my side, like <laughs> you know a Monday AFL footballer's haircut, and. Um, uh, but then you can tell like every, about every second one they'll do ours, and I'm very thankful. Yeah, I mean it's. Weird the concept of having, like, when you've got spinning blades running along the ground, to also have a cord powering with the electricity <laughs> lying on the ground as well. It's not a great design. Oh, uh, and also, like, the other thing is, too, I'm, like, mowing this tiny little bit of lawn, like, which is in, like, a triangle shape, like, outside my office, and there's yeah. a tree in the middle of it. And so you have to kind of loop around and go backwards and stuff to, like... And you're you know, not get getting a- around the edge of the tree. Yeah, but the other thing is, you've got this fucking cord. So anytime you try to loop back or go backwards, you're in danger <laughs> of running over this fucking electrical cord with your fucking electric lawnmower anyway i'm not very good at doing things myself charlie as we've uh previously as, established as on this podcast Forty thousand tradesmen who have visited over the past three weeks have taught us yeah uh thank you everyone who reminded me over the last 24 hours us, to bring reminded us well us but i think i mean it was never gonna be a problem for you was it because we're, we're recording in your office where you've got thousands of dvds yeah but here's what i would say is a lot of those dvds aren't in their cases and I didn't know oh, if it would true. be easy for me to go to my DVD shelf and immediately find five things that I was just happy to give away that were also of sufficient quality for a podcasting experience. So you picked them? You actually, I, I did a, oh, I you just, did random. I did a random. No, grab. I picked them. All right. In fact, one of them was one I had three copies of. 
<laughs> so that was an easy choice. Yeah, right. Uh, I picked some ones that I knew that I wasn't going to watch again, like that I wouldn't have a demand for or that like I had in some other format. That yeah. that was kind of my what I went with. So I guess the way we'll do this is we'll yeah, just... Yeah, how will we do this? I reckon we just go through each DVD. We've, and what's the premise again? The premise is that we describe them, but we don't say whose they are. We'll, then, we'll talk about each one. Yeah, and we'll, yeah, and and we'll then, talk about each one. And then on the Facebook page, yeah. you have to come up with... Whose DVDs belong who to who. Who belongs to who. So I think there's 10 DVDs. Okay. So five each. Well, it could be five each. Let's keep some mystery. Right? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, well, for this we're giving one, away. it's five each. Yeah. <laughs> but in the future, if we do this again, it's 10, but it could actually be 10 of one person's and zero of others, because that covers us for other times we promise to do this, and you forget to bring DVDs, we can just get 10 off my shelf. And I and I suggest, I haven't had a look at them, but if there's a, if a film you haven't seen, let's just pretend like you have seen it, <laughs> just to make, keep people guessing, because if we hold up a DVD and you go, I've never seen it, then people are going to know it's mine. Well, yeah. Yeah, let's not make it one of those fucking British TV panel shows where one of us lying oh, and the yeah. other one is like, you know, that we both have a pretend. But yes, you know, so basically, sense. how well do you know Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> the show that we've used every live show the past three years. Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah, let's. Well, this is our lo fi version of that, but it's got prizes. Yeah, it, does it? What's the prize? The prize is that you get the DVDs, right? What? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did see, we that's say why that? you just chose. Yeah, I think we did say that. Did we? Yeah. All right. Well, see, no. You, well, I'll go to JB Hi-Fi and you I'll You just buy. randomly chose yours. You yeah. know what? They can get my five DVDs. Yeah, they can have your five DVDs. Yeah, because I chose five that I could give away. I That's why yeah. I got ones that were doubles and stuff. Yeah, right. I don't have doubles. That's, well, that makes sense then. You get yeah. you get Will's DVDs. You get my DVDs. If you guess them correctly. If you guess them correctly. And, and maybe not Because I want to get rid of the DVDs as well. Because I'm just never going to watch all yeah. those DVDs again. That's true. And they're clogging up my bookshelf, and it means I've just got something in my house that somebody else could be getting pleasure out of. And just that I am not going to use. Just using eye matching, I would say that you, and this is not all your DVDs, but I would say you have probably three times my DVD collection. You have a lot of series, which bumps your, inflates your numbers. Yeah. But you definitely have more than me. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I'm very happy to like to give away at least my portion of the okay, DVDs okay. as a prize. Yeah. That's, a, that's actually not a bad metaphor for this podcast in general. <laughs> You're happy for it to cost you a little bit more. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, all right. Should we get the first one? Yeah. You start. Just random. Are you going to get just yeah, randomly uh, get one out yeah, of it? So, yeah. this could be yours or mine, right? Oh, yeah, nice. That's good. Yeah, Charlie is actually... I've hidden them behind my computer screen, so I can't see any of the DVDs, yeah. but I put the, the, the non-cover side towards Charlie so okay. that he couldn't see. So right. nobody will know if it's yours or mine. Yeah. Or we'll, we'll know, but nobody else will know. Okay. But you're just going to describe it. We'll talk about the movie, right? First DVD, Will. Uh, the first DVD is a, a movie that I absolutely adore called Honeymoon in Vegas. Starring James Caan, Nicholas Tage, and Sarah Jessica Barker. Does James Caan get top billing on that? He does. He does. This would have been well. This is definitely, it's it's in between. Girls just want to have fun and Sex in the City for Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. I mean, they're her two key. I mean, Sex in the City is obviously that's her signature. Well, she's role. getting top billing in the Sex in the City movie, right? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. But, but what, is that the only movie that Sarah Jessica Parker, or has she done other stuff since yeah. then? That like oh, since? she'd be the top billing in a movie. Oh no! I think she's done. Hasn't she done some like? She did some film. She does like ensemble films. I feel like. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, like is she like is she a top billing actress? She clearly was yeah, in that I'd TV say show. So. I'd say so, but I don't know that you'd see a Sarah Jessica Parker film these days, would you? Well, I don't know. I, I think she's more of a TV star now. She's definitely a TV star. There's no doubt about that. But I kind of thought she well, never really got top billing prior to that. Let me just say. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Girls just want to have fun is where we all noticed her. 
And then she does a piano. LA story. Yeah, but she's always supporting. She had little key little cameos. She was more of a character actor, wasn't she? Yeah, and then she I became a so. leading lady in Sex in the City. Yeah, I guess that. that I mean, she was in that movie Striking Distance with Bruce Willis, where he's like cop on the water. It was back in Bruce Willis's I'm a cop in any situation phase. <laughs> I'm a water cop. I'm a water cop. I love being a cop on the water, but this is my worst day at work. Um, all right, let's have a look at what she's been doing recently off our IMDb page. Uh, she's in a TV series called Divorce. Yeah, with uh, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. And uh, before that, she was in All Roads Lead to Rome. Don't know. Uh, Glee. Know she was in Glee, Glee, the television show Glee, apparently. Did she sing? Must have. Um, Escape from Planet Earth. Uh, she was in Ed Wood. Um, New Year's <laughs> Eve. Okay, yeah, that's an ensemble piece, okay, isn't yeah. it? Uh, I don't know how she does it. Sex in the City 2. I don't know how that she would have been does like, it. I reckon Sex in the City 2, she would have been like, so she's lead Easily. in that, right? She's like number one. Um, did you hear about the Morgans? Yeah, right. Uh, Sex in the City, Smart People, Spinning in a Butter, Failure to Launch. Yeah, you're right. There's not Failure okay. to Launch, that sounds, that's a Matthew McConaughey Ma- film. Yeah, so he would have got top billing in that. Yeah, you'd think so. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. So it's really Sex in the City. Right. So, uh, so she gets uh, third billing. So it's James Carr, Nicholas Cage, Sarah Jessica Parker. Now this is back in the phase when Nicholas Cage pre. I'm going to say it's pre Oscar, pre leaving Las Vegas. Yep. And pre action hero phase, and obviously pre insane person. Phase. It's funny that you say that because I I think I probably got into Nicholas Cage around the action phase. Like, what really? Yeah. But then at the same time, kind of, obviously there was Discovered. all these other movies. Yeah. So to me, he seemed like at the time a very like well-rounded and complex actor. You were like, oh, fuck, who's this guy? He, was. he can do action. He can do comedy. Like, you know, I, I didn't get him stereotyped as any sort of actor because suddenly when I discovered him as like this action movie star, I also discovered this like back catalogue of stuff that wasn't that. Well, I think he was, I mean, I when I think of Nicolas Cage, I think Raising Arizona. That's when I think yep. I first noticed him. Peggy Sue got married and he was always the quirky, weird guy, always making the choice to like do a silly voice or have crazy hair or just real chew the scenery kind of yeah. type stuff. Although as we've come to realise, it may not have been as much of a choice. As we thought, that might have just been how Nick rocked up day by day. I'd say, I well, when I was working on Home and Away, a lot of young actors on that show hated Nicolas Cage. They talked about him in the same way people might regard David Hasselhoff or something, just a joke. But that's from his time on Home and Away, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great storyline when Nicolas Cage. Oh, I'm your son. <laughs> oh, Alf. <laughs> You know, no, um, he had a thing, Nicolas Cage. It was an acting gimmick. He would shout the last couple of words of every sentence. Yeah. That was his that, that was his shtick. In fact, there's a great line in Honeymoon in Vegas where he's trying to get to Hawaii and all the flights are booked and stuff. And he starts complaining. And the woman at the who works at the airlines like, sir, if you don't calm down, we'll have to do something. And he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Throw me in airport jail. Well, that was his motto at the time, wasn't it? It was, uh, despite all my rage, I'm still just Nicholas Cage. <laughs> uh, so, Honeymoon in Vegas, who was it directed yeah. by? Who was it directed by? Uh, Andrew Bergman. Mm. Oh, I think he's one of, directed one of your favourite films, Hudson Hawk. Is that right? Maybe. Type, type in Andrew how do Bergman. I, how do I spell Bergman? B-E-R-G-M-A-N. Pretty By much. the way, this is not a clue for anybody at home going, Will doesn't know who the director <laughs> is, because this will be the general premise, mostly of movies. I, don't, I rarely know, unless the director is like a famous director, I rarely know who the director is. 
Sorry to all directors who think you're the most important thing in a film. <laughs> um, Andrew Bergman? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Andrew Bergman. Let's have a look here. Andrew Bergman uh, is an American screenwriter, film director, and novelist. Hmm. Uh, New York Magazine in 1985 dubbed him the unknown king of comedy. All right. There you go. Uh, let's have a look at Any his, films that we uh, Films directed by Andrew Bergman. I don't think he did do Hudson Hawk now. So let's I'll have take a look. that back. So Fine in 1981, The Freshman in 1990. Oh, yeah, that was with Honeymoon Marlon in Brando. Vegas, 1992. Yeah. It Could Happen to You, 1994. Striptease. Do you remember the yeah. famous Striptease movie? Yeah, $20 million for two boobs, I believe. Uh, 1996, and Isn't She Great in the year 2000. So no, he did not. Uh, yeah. It says underneath there, let's have a look at his uh, awards, um, uh, Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Director. He won Worst Director in 1996 at the Golden Raspberries for Striptease, which is probably the... <laughs> All right, I'll read you the plot. Yep. Nicholas Cage is Jack Singer, a second-rate private eye who has managed to win the undying love of gorgeous school teacher Betsy Nolan, Sarah Jessica Parker. Now, after five years, Betsy wants a commitment, but Jack is plagued by his mother's deathbed wish that he never marry. In an irrational moment, Jack relents and proposes a quick fix Vegas-style ceremony. With, an Elv- with Elvis impersonators convention in town, the marriage capital of the world is buzzing with Viva Las Vegas and Betsy couldn't be more excited. Jack, though, wants to play his last hand before giving his and gets suckered into a poker game with card shark Tommy Cormer and loses Betsy to him. So in an indecent uh, proposal-style setup, right. James a- Kahn has been coveting Nicolas Cage's wife and tricks him into a game that he can't win and he loses her for a weekend. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's essentially um, it's like oh boy, yeah, it's indecent proposal in Vegas. Yeah, in a hunker hunker burning fun. Oh yeah, nice. Jack puts his but Jack puts on his blue suede shoes and races to save Betsy from a man who's nothing but a hound dog in the riotous romantic romantic comedy honeymoon in Vegas. I mean, you would have thought here's just one thing that I would say. You would have thought that he's on his kind of moral high horse. Uh, suggesting somebody else is nothing but a hound dog when he himself is the sort <laughs> Put of person his wife who would bet up his fiance in a game of cards. <laughs> that to me feels like, you know what, Pot? Uh, this is the kettle, you're blackjack. Uh, what are your memories of this film? Uh, I, look, here's the thing. I remember I saw I think it, I remember it being really good and really funny, and I've watched it a lot of times. Yeah, I. it's one of those ones that sat, I reckon sits on the shelf occasionally comes out it's not like one of those ones where i'm like oh, i'm gonna to watch, watch this it. it's not a hangover day film or anything like no that. it doesn't evoke any particular special memories for me or anything like that i do remember sarah jessica parker being particularly hot in this phase this was like this is when she was like super before she got sex in the city sophisticated she was like a she was just a cute super cute and very cool chick it was something like the pre something about mary mary that's right. the kind of character she played. Impossibly gorgeous, impossibly fun, impossibly cool. The kind of fiance you would never put up for in a card game. Yeah, she was, she was Sarah Jessica Perkier, yeah. basically. Yeah, she was the ideal woman. She was like that world's version of that sort of, uh, you know, pixie kind of heroine. And I also seem to remember, I'll just check the credits in the back, that Pat Morita is in it. Mr. Yeah. Miyagi playing a taxi driver. And then Sarah Jessica Parker, Pat Morita, there you go. With music by David Newman. I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, what's the... Read me the front cover of it. I want to know what they've said about this movie. What, what's the information on the front cover that's made me pick that up? It's a love that's all shook up in neon writing. 
and then it says a comedy about one bride. By two- the way, once they decided they were going to use Elvis, like, oh, yeah, puns, they hard reckon, on it. Don't you reckon the rest of the day was just done? Yeah, yeah. like that was one of those ones where we go, if we do this Elvis riff, everything can just, like, just all itself. the copy will write itself. <laughs> yeah. A comedy about one bride, dot, 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 two grooms, dot, 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 and 34 flying Elvises. Now that gets me in the that gets me in the cinema. I mean, that's the pitch, right? Yeah, yeah. I imagine they've just written the pitch for the movie on the front cover of the DVD. One bride, two grooms. What are we talking about? Bloody fucking polygamy, polygamy here, are we? It's not, is this DVD halal? <laughs> yeah, obviously got banned in a lot of Utah, yeah, and Queensland. <laughs> oh, actually, probably celebrated. Sorry, I've got that the wrong oh, way. Yeah, around. the wrong way around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to take the next DVD? Or yeah, okay. All yeah. right. I'll, I'll reach around. Yeah. I'll reach around. Give it a reach around. The back of the com- Give it a bit of shuffle. Oh. They know that we've shuffled from before, and I can't see the DVDs. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just knocking them. So everywhere. I'm just knocking them everywhere. Okay. So uh, this movie, uh, Charlie, I'll get you to uh, read out the title. Uh, it's uh, right here. Jacob's Ladder. Now I loved uh, this movie. Um, obviously, I, I saw the first one, Jacob's Step Ladder, <laughs> and I was just oh god, in. he just dusted off some material from like <laughs> your first two years as a stand-up. That's why I bought this DVD as, as, a, as a prop. Yeah, I used to do mostly DVD prop material. The end of Blockbuster really fucked up my app. That was the problem. Uh, I'll, I'll read you the front cover. Tim Robbins, he gets his own billing right up the top. Yeah, uh, Tim Robbins, the most frightening thing about Jacob Singer's nightmare. Hang on, his name was Jacob Singer. What was the name of? Oh yeah. What was the name of Nick Cage's character? Jack Singer. Jack Singer. Holy shit! Fuck, I reckon they were probably related. Don't you think they were related? <laughs> what year was that one, mate? Uh, well, this one was in. Uh, oh, hang say on, on the. Back. It'll say on the back somewhere, right? I'm really bad at looking this sort of things up. Um, 1990. Where does it say the? Right down the bottom, there's like a copyright, like 1990 thing down there. So I assume that's about the year, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So when was yours? Do you know? Can't see the copyright. No. I think this would be about 93, 94. I think it was 92 for a memory when we were okay. looking up the director. So, All right. Okay, so they're the same era. So they could be brothers or they something. They could be brothers. They could be Shared actually universe. Be brothers. Look at this. Yeah, they all... <laughs> exactly. They were setting up a superhero franchise <laughs> yeah. that was going to have... The jo- singer. The singer verse. Singer. <laughs> Directed by Brian Singer. Brian Singer. Singer. It was all, and but it was actually going to all the other actors were going to be former singers. Yeah. So it was going to be Justin Timberlake and Beyonce and stuff. It was going to be a really high concept thing. Never really came off. Made all the costumes on a Singer sewing machine. Ah, like, damn it! I was going to bring that up. And I was like, oh, you're really pushing the gag there, Charlie. Trust you to go for it. Um, Did they do a sponsorship with KFC where you get a Zinger burger? Oh, the Zinger, the Singer Zinger. The Singer Zinger. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's an Adrian Lynn film and uh, Jacob's Ladder uh, and then the little blurb, the little, uh, what do you call the the line? The, what Mid do you blurb? call that? Um, the most frightening thing about Jacob Singer's nightmare is that he isn't dreaming. Well, it's not, mm. not really a nightmare. No, then, man, no is it? not really. Uh, Jacob's Ladder, here's what it says on the back. Uh, for years, Jacob Singer has been haunted by flashbacks of his wartime experiences in Vietnam. But now, years later, something more frightening is occurring. Something more frightening than the Vietnam War, Charlie. Hallucin- hallucinatory demonic images have invaded his life. That's right. Jacob, fearing for his sanity, seeks out his old psychiatrist only to discover that he's been killed in a car explosion. 
Later, an old war buddy confronts him with a tale of terror. He tells Jacob that he's experiencing the same nightmarish visions that are haunting Jacob. Jacob is stunned, but their bond is short-lived. Soon afterward, Jacob's friend is killed in another car explosion. I mean, really, like, isn't this just like the first two like paragraphs of the plot? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know, you're giving away spoilers. a lot of spoilers. There's a lot of spoilers yeah, yeah. on the back of this. Spoiler alert. DVDs and spoilers. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I guess it was kind of a PTSD metaphor, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. somebody coming back from war. Well, I haven't seen this in a long time, but my, so my memory of it is that he, like I say, he's obviously a, a, a PTSD vet with, um, with his seeing these visions, but there's, isn't there something along the way of like, he doesn't know if maybe when he was serving, he contracted agent. Like, what are they? Because there's all those problems. Is it Agent Orange? What's that chemical they use during the Vietnam War? You got yeah, a lot of vets I now. I think so. Who came back to Australia, who are having all these symptoms. So I think that's an element as well. So they constantly play with. Is he tripping this? Is he in like right. a hospital bed somewhere, imagining this whole thing? Uh, Jacob's ladder was made by uh, Karolko Pictures ten years after being written by Ruben. It drew from several inspirations for its stories and effects, including the short film An Occurrence at Owl Creek, Owl Creek Bridge and the paintings of Francis Bacon. Oh, yeah. That's true. It does have that dark imagery. You Isn't there really like say- a party scene where his, wa- his girlfriend's dancing like manically on the dance floor and then like a tentacle appears between her legs or something? I mean, it, this is a more interesting pitch, isn't it? We want to make a PTSD horror movie based on some paintings I saw. <laughs> like... <laughs> Good. Uh, though, so I, you're saying that's better than a comedy about one bride, two grooms, and 34 flying Elvises? Would you call it a hunker hunker burning ladder? <laughs> no? He's certainly feeling blue, suede shoes. <laughs> these are the only two we know. I know he had a hundred songs, but we have to riff on these two ideas. <laughs> Um, wise men say only fools rush in except in this opportunity to make this film about a guy and his ladder his best friend the ladder what does the, the ladder is his best friend what does the ladder refer to is it something about the seven stages of hell or something does it say mm. just type in what is Jacob's ladder let's have a look uh, uh, actually in real life because uh, oh, is there... it actually a real life term I think it is but let's have a look and we can find out and I also seem to remember Macaulay Culkin being in this film as an eerie like child. Oh, okay. Ooh, all right. What? Okay. Yep. Is this Ooh. something we don't want to talk about? No, no. Okay. This Are is you okay. on the dark web now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, firstly, I've got a guy who can get us some mushrooms. Oh, excellent. Secondly, I've got another guy who can get us some mushrooms and some guns. <laughs> and then I've got a third guy we definitely don't want to click on his links. But the fourth guy's got some information about Jacob's ladder. Uh, Jacob's ladder is the colloquial name for a connection between the earth and heaven. Right that the biblical patriarch uh, uh, patriarch Jacob dreams about during his flight from his brother Esau. Esau? 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 E-S-A-U. Esau? Yeah, I don't know. As described in the book of Genesis. So it's from Genesis. Yeah, Jacob's Phil life. Collins. Uh, yeah, as, as <laughs> described in the book of Genesis. After Peter Gabriel left. Was it Peter yeah, Gabriel? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. after Peter Gabriel left. Gabriel, the angel. Oh, yeah. fuck, it's all connected. <laughs> it all makes sense now, man. Phil Collins is the devil, right? <laughs> uh, the significance of the dream has been somewhat debated, but most interpretations agree that it identified Jacob with the obligations and inheritance of the ethnic people chosen by God. 
uh, as understood in Abrahamic religions. It has since been used as a symbolic reference in various other contexts. Um, okay, yeah, we need a little, uh, you know, what, what does each step? Are the different stages of the letter? references. Here we go. Right. Uh, Jacob's letter has been uh, depicted in many artworks. Um, that's probably where he got the inspiration for one of those fucking artworks. Francis Bacon. Look at uh, Jacob's ladder is the name given to a long, steep, and winding stairway in Edinburgh, where the steps uh, carved directly into the volcanic rock face of Caton Hill. Yes, I've been down those stairs. Written, written records indicate it existed since at least 1759, although it's likely to be much older, as it's the quickest pedestrian route up the hill, which dominates the skyline of the Scottish capital. In July 2016, it was announced that the much-used stairway will be. Oh, okay, we don't need to no, know about the actual stairs. Just yeah, tell us okay. about the real ladder, man. Okay, uh, is there any superstition around it or anything like that? It doesn't really. Okay, so basically, the, in terms of what it, how it relates to this film, is this guy feels trapped between heaven and earth, right? Because he's yep. not sure if he's alive or dead. So he's somewhere on Jacob's ladder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's it. There we go. So we, we should keep moving on because we you know need to get through. Well, time. a little bit of trivia as well. Okay. Uh, same writer of Jacob's ladder was the writer of Ghost. Well, there you go. Who was also the writer-director of My Life with Michael Keaton. All right, that is a bit of... Okay, you go next. Okay, close my eyes. Rattling around for a bit. Oh, Jason Alexander was in it as Mr. Geary, the lawyer. Uh, Ving Rhames was in it Well, he George. plays... He's the Vietnam vet. Oh, of course he does, yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah, he? Yeah. That's Ving Rhames. Yeah, yeah, young Ving Rhames. Yeah, right. Uh, Lewis Black as Jacob's Lewis doctor. Black, the comedian? Yeah. yeah. He, oh, wow. And uh, Macaulay Culkin, uncredited. He was uncredited. Macaulay didn't uncredited. What year was it made again? So this was this pre or post Home Alone? Must have been pre. There's no way. 1990. Oh, it would have been the same year as Home Alone. Mm. That's amazing. They got him just pre fucking Kevin McAllister. Or maybe he just walked onto the set from the Home <laughs> Alone set. Maybe that. Ironically, he was not. There. He was home. He was in the no, studio. Alone. He got trapped in the. He got trapped in the studio and ended up in the film. <laughs> All right. Next DVD is something we were talking about only last week. It is. Uh, Tom Cruise stars in a little movie called Interview uh, with the Vampire. Tom Cruise gets top billing, then the title, Interview with the Vampire. Subtitle, The Vampire Chronicles. I think that was probably added that to was the, the DVD. Books. Oh, was the, it? The books were called The Vampire Chronicles, I okay. believe. And then uh, in Star Order, under the title, Brad yeah. Pitt, Antonio Banderas, Stephen Rea, and Christian Slater. Stephen Ray. Stephen Rea. Oh, is it Stephen Rea? Rea? Oh, Ray. Rea. What do we- yeah, yeah, I've done he's that. a good actor, that guy. He is. Irishman. Uh, Christian Slater, of course, who, uh, another bit of trivia, replaced River Phoenix, who was the oh, original interviewer. Right. And then died halfway through. Didn't take a fee, I believe. But he's ruined that now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, no, he's, he's got Mr. Robert. Yeah, he's fine okay. now, but for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. For about like 10 years ago, he was really wishing he'd taken <laughs> that. Every special, that special edition. With the vampire. And... Everybody else is like minted for the rest of their life. And he goes, I'll do it for free. Yeah. Uh, it was rated MA, Will, yep. for medium level violence and adult themes. Here we go. I'll tell you a little bit about the production because it is yep. one that has an interesting like story behind it. Uh, author Anne Rice adapted her 1976 novel, Interview with the Vampire, into a screenplay with French actor Alain Delon in mind for the lo- role of Louise. Uh, later on, when the film was made, British actor Julian Sands was considered uh, to play the role of Lestat by Rice. He'd be great. 
Well, that's that's who she played wanted, Warlock. Remember, and that was the thing at the time was yeah. like everybody was like, "Yeah, brilliant." But because uh, Sands was not a well-known name at the time, being uh, only famed for his performance in A Room with a View, he was rejected, and the role was given to Tom Cruise. Can't argue with that, really. This was initially criticised by Anne Rice, who said that Cruise was no more my vampire Lestat than Edward G. Robinson is Rhett Butler. I mean, that's a pretty dated reference there. But. <laughs> well, you know, but the undead will get it, so she's talking to her audience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the casting was so bizarre, it's almost impossible to imagine how it's going to work. So there was a lot of, yeah, the beloved author author of the books, the person that they were based on, yeah. basically was on the public record saying that, like, this sucks. This sucks. He's not my... Probably also... not my vampire. Probably also worth noting that Stephen King hates the Shining movie as well. So <laughs> sometimes authors... Not the best judge of adaptations. Yeah, I mean, and also sometimes, like, I, I can imagine when you, you see something that's even better than what you did, yeah. <laughs> you can go, oh, fuck, that's what I should have done. I believe, I mean, you'll probably get to it, but I do believe she uh, changed her story once the film came out. Yes. Nevertheless, uh, she was satisfied with Cruz's performance after seeing the completed film, saying that from the moment he appeared, Tom was Lestat for me. He's good in it. Yeah. Um, and Tom did make Lestat work with something I could not see in a crystal ball. And I imagine she has plenty of crystal balls. Oh, yeah, so, nowadays. Uh, due to Rice's perception of Hollywood's homophobia, at one point she rewrote the part of Luis, uh, changing his sex to female in order to spe- uh, specifically heterosexualize the character's relationship with Lestat. <laughs> at the time, Rice felt it was the only way to get the film made, and singer-actress Cher was considered for the part. Wow. Uh, along a song titled Lovers Forever, which Cher wrote, along with Shirley Eichhardt for the film's soundtrack, got rejected as Pitt was ultimately cast for the role. Though a dance pop version of the song was released on Shirley's 2013 album, Closer to the Truth. Wow, fucking held onto that for 20 years. Good on you. Uh, everybody's making some money out of this except for Christian Slater. <laughs> <laughs> Even sure, who didn't get the fucking part, still making more money out of it than poor old Christian Slater, who did the right thing. Isn't it funny that she felt like she needed to change that character into a, into a female to combat homophobia back then. But nowadays, you'd want her to write that character into a female character just so there's more diversity on right. the screen. So it's like, can't fucking win. Uh, originally, River Phoenix was cast for the role of Daniel Malloy. Uh, but he died four weeks before the well, four weeks before it was due to be filming. Uh, when Christian Slater was cast in his pass in his place, he donated his entire salary to Phoenix's favorite charitable organizations, Dealers. <laughs> the film has a dedication to Phoenix after the end credits. Well, he gets a dedication, and he wasn't yeah, even in it. Do you find it's, it's weird, like films like Into the Vampire, where he died, you know, which is all about death and dying and living life after death, or The Crow, you know, which is about someone coming back from. Do you feel a bit weird watching it when that person's died? Like, I'm, if the Joker had died at the end of Dark Knight, would you think it, it makes it a bit strange watching that film? I mean, no, no is my answer. I mean, it gives it extra, a little extra kind of poignancy the crow definitely when you watch the crow knowing that this is the last one we ever made and knowing what the themes are i think it does make that film more powerful i don't know that film would have been as big a hit if he hadn't died no i get that yeah i, I yeah and it's well, it's their final performance and it yes it does if the themes of the movie are similar themes then i guess yes yes hard, it does but hard conversation when your agent comes to you your agent your manager is like look uh, the studio's a little worried about the opening weekend for this film. We think we have a surefire strategy to make sure people see it. Yeah. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to die. 
For how long? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, Zac Efron. <laughs> you don't come back from this. I know your life's been pretty blessed till now, but not even you with your perfect abs and beautiful face and charming personality can it come back It turns out that. when your agent did the deal to get you that much money, and that bigger trailer, you did sign one clause that said if we don't think if if the if the market testing shows that we're not going to make our budget back on the first weekend, you will have to die. So <laughs> probably should have brought that up. But. I mean, I think he I think he mentioned it in the meeting, but you were so excited about the trailer, you were checking out the waterbed at the time. So we did mention it. We had three lawyers there. Remember, you didn't really look at them because you're smoking from the giant bong we installed, but. <laughs> You signed it, mate. You signed it because there was a little bit of yellow next to it. Do you want to hear the blurb from the back? This is actually an art form that I've forgotten about now that we don't have DVDs. Because these aren't like your Wikipedia or IMDb synopsis. These are marketing materials. Exactly. Because it's like if someone picks it up and they're like, oh, I'm almost convinced. I do think I'd like to see a movie where they interview a vampire. And I do like John Cruise. John, John Cruise. John Cruise. There's somebody who doesn't really like movies that much. Yeah. I like John Cruise. I loved him in, in Top Gun. Um, so, yeah, okay. Tell us, tell us right. about it. So, there's a big, uh, the big title on the back is Drink From Me and Live Forever. Okay. Yeah, nice. Bad advice, I'd say. Don't take that to heart in any situation. The undead are among us and livelier than ever when Tom Cruise oh, shut doesn't up. that start. He does not say that. <laughs> Sounds like I'm reading a comedy. It depends on the tone of voice, right? Hang on, let's see if I can do it serious. The undead are among us and livelier than ever when... No, no it doesn't work. <laughs> no! And livelier than ever. You need... My, Michael, can you put some like wacky like comedy music behind me when I... And... The undead are among us and livelier than ever when Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt and a talented group of young blood star an interview with a vampire. <laughs> That's me. literally what That's it's like said. a TV station promo. It's like the thing that Channel comes 9. up at the end where it's like, you know, they've, they've accidentally bought Interview with the Vampire and they're showing it and no one's really watched it and they're just going, oh, we've got to make this sound more fun. <laughs> the spellbinding screen adaptation of Anne Rice's bestseller is one of the year's best films, according to Karen James, New York Times. Award-winning box office favourite, Cruise stylishly plays the supremely evil and charismatic vampire Lestat. Pitt is Lewis, lured by Lestat into the... Is it Louis or Lewis? Louis. I can't remember. I think it's Louis. Louis. Lured by Lestat into the immortality of the damned, then tormented by the unalterable fact of vampire life. To survive, he must kill. Stephen Rea, Rea, Antonio Banderas, Christian Slater, and newcomer, <laughs> newcomer Kirsten Dunst, also star. Well, that's the other thing. We should talk about Kirsten Dunst because we haven't mentioned her, who's awesome. amazing in this film. One of the best child performances, this and The Sixth Sense, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, she has to play like a centuries-old vampire because, you know, she stays the size of a child and you, you buy it. Like when she's storming around being having a tantrum because she can't cut her hair and stuff, you're like, oh, yeah, that seems like a grown woman in a child's body. Yeah, she's absolutely amazing. And she's, I mean, I think perhaps unless Hayley Joel Osment has a, like a strong comeback from here, out of the two, she's probably, I mean, she's, yeah. She's, she's got a better she's, still, she's bloody Mary Jane Watson. Yeah, she's fine. When they do the 50th reboot of Spider-Man, she'll be Aunt May for sure. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's, it's she's, got an inbuilt retirement plan, the Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, she needs to talk to Christian Slater about long-term planning. <laughs> One Lifetime Alone offers plenty of opportunities for the savage revelries of the, of the right. What? Oh, no, the night. The, of the right? Hang on, what? It's an old right from, movie. Yeah. The vampires are just like sick of the millennials. So one nation. That's why they're killing. They're just like... 
One, li- one lifetime alone offers plenty of opportunities for the savage revelries of the night. Okay. <laughs> fits for both, though. Imagine what an eternity can bring. But it doesn't give you a question mark at the end. That's, they should have a question mark at the end of that sentence, right? Imagine no, what it's a, a demand. Imagine, imagine what, what an eternity can bring. bring. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then go get back to the movie. Hypnotically no, di- imagine. <laughs> you didn't take enough time to imagine. <laughs> sorry. You can't have imagined all the things an eternity could bring in that time. Hypnotic- you're standing there in the shop like eight weeks later, <laughs> staring at the back. Someone comes over. Are you all right, sir? Just imagining all the things <laughs> that eternity could bring. Hypnotically directed by Neil Jordan of The Crying Game. In that he actually hypnotized all the cast to be involved. No one <laughs> well, got At least paid. Christian Slater. He did it with a watch. <laughs> Interview with a vampire offers enough thrills. And what other two things? Spills. No. And kills. No. <laughs> they don't rhyme. <laughs> the Grinspoon album. Thrills. Rhymes with socks. Uh, shocks. Yep. And fiendish fun to, a last, to last a lifetime. And beyond, this is the worst <laughs> so I didn't far. Say, it didn't say a lifetime and beyond. Oh, it does, mate. Oh, shut up. It does. Offers enough two la- shocks and fiendish fun to last a lifetime and beyond. <sighs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Whoever this wrote that. This is like the worst writing. All right. We also have to nominate. That, that's the leader for the worst that's blurb so far. Definitely worst blurb. One lifetime. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Enough thrill shocks and fiendish fun. <laughs> it sounds like you're going to Disney's Haunted Mansion Exactly. Or oh, would you like to come in for some fiendish <laughs> fun? It's like a theatre restaurant. Oh, Hunchbacks. It's interview with a vampire. <laughs> How many people have you killed today? One, <laughs> two. I love to come. I'm having some fiendish fun. Yeah, that's terrible. A lifetime and beyond. And beyond! Is it exclamation mark after beyond? No. That's their their version, though, of your Elvis riff. Yeah. You know, they've tried to go, you know. They've tried to loop it around blood-sucking, nighttime, vampire puns. But the movie... The movie that doesn't suck. That's misleading. That's clearly trying to get people to watch this. Read the first line again. That's people trying to... Yeah, this is trying to get people to watch this movie who will not enjoy this movie. It's trying to sucker people in implying this movie is because it's not fiendish fun. No, it's actually quite a serious film, right? The undead are among us and livelier than (laughs) ever. (laughs) Like, so misleading. Like, that suggests that you invite them to a party. They're the ones holding court, telling oh. stories. Oh, Lestat's got a lampshade on his oh, head again. you can't shut that Lestat up. <laughs> Lestat's in the kitchen holding court, constantly being interviewed. You don't even need to interview him. He won't shut up. He's got six podcasts. Oh, Lestat's podcasting again. Lestat's podcast. Lestat's podcast. <laughs> all right, you'll go. Um, all right, yes, okay. Dip into the... That was good, though. I, I enjoyed that. That was a... We got a lot out of that. Got a lot out of this one. Well, all right, here we go. Um, this one, uh, Charlie, is an extended edition, by the right, way. Yeah. So you know it's got to be good. Uh, it got. Uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let you get. Try to guess this one. Oh, you'll know what it is because. Okay. Well, you might know what it is, so it doesn't matter to guess. I'm just gonna get you to say what it is. Okay. Bridesmaids. <laughs> so, uh, five stars from Cosmopolitan. Five, yep. five stars from Grazia. Four stars from Marie Claire and uh, four stars from She Magazine. Uh, no blurb on oh. the front, just says extended edition. Because it's been made in the last 
five years, marketing's changed. All these films are made in the 90s, the ones we've read so far. On the back, they've got a pull quote from the Daily Telegraph. Outrageous, rude, and thigh-slapping funny. Uh, it says also on the back, extended edition. So they're really selling it on the extended edition. Yeah. They go, we know you love bridesmaids, but you would love more bridesmaids. Okay, here's what it says on the back of it. Uh, 30 something actually before we get to the blurb mm. I'll run you through the bonus features yeah. that are in because this is more your modern day DVD is it uh, Paul Feig directed this one yeah that's right Paul okay. Feig uh, starring uh, Feig uh, Kristen Wiig Maya Rudolph Rose Byrne uh, Ellie Kemper Melissa McCarthy uh, that's a really good that's sp- Melissa McCarthy's star making role yeah right? absolutely Ellie Camper is like I mean do you watch Unbreakable she, Kimmy Schmidt yeah I mean I, I don't watch it but I know who she is the redhead right yeah she's really good yeah Rose Byrne like just very good comedically in this mm. movie um, alright here's the blurb let's see if the blurbs have got better I bet they have 30 something Annie livelier than ever <laughs> uh, Kristen Wiig has hit a rough patch but finds her life completely turned upside down when she takes on the maid of honor role in her best friend Lillian's wedding. In way over her head, but determined to succeed, Annie leads a hilarious ensemble of bridesmaids on a wild ride down the road to the big event. Okay, now, that's all. That's all, that's all you need. That's pretty simple. Now, let's just see if that could have worked pr- the same for Interview with the Vampire. Okay. 300-something uh, Lestat... <laughs> Has hit a rough patch, but finds his life completely turned upside down when he takes on the maid of honor roll in his best friend Lillian's, oh, sorry, Louis. uh, Louis's <laughs> wedding. In way over his head, but determined to succeed, <laughs> Lestat leads a hilarious ensemble of vampires <laughs> on a wild ride down the road to the big event. Yeah, well, that works yeah, better. Works I think well. that's actually... You would feel much less misled by that blurb than you would by the one they've actually got on the back of the movie. Uh, I like Bridesmaids. Yeah, you, uh, me too. Melissa McCarthy, obviously. But Brilliant. Kristen Wiig is one of those actors where, like a Will Ferrell, in the right movie, just give her all the kind of like ad-libbing time in the world because I think she's so funny. She's just, I mean, that movie is just full of superstar funny women. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, there's one that's coming out now called Rough Night yeah, or something that really Scarlett feels Johansson. like, it really feel like that somebody just went and went, hey, was my Bridesmaids that isn't Bridesmaids? What well, if Bridesmaids was the hangover? Or Bad Mums 2 or Bad Mums and they're making Bad Mums 2. So they Would have been great if they started with Bad Mums 2. It's kind of weird though. It's, it's sort of a bit like female gross out comedy now, which is only like a fairly recent phenomenon. It's kind of like the bad Santa, bad teacher, bad grandpa, whatever. Right. Bad parent, which is a very depressing film. <laughs> you shouldn't watch that one. It's actually not a comedy. Bad priest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird that like it took people's like that mainstream films took so long to latch onto this formula because most of the girls I know, if you get them together, especially you know if they've had a few drinks, are fucking hilarious and just as fucking like balls out brash as all my male friends. Well, I think what originally I thought was that, you know, men might eventually evolve to be better like women are, but essentially what's happened is women have devolved to be yeah. as terrible We've brought as you down are. to our level. The only well, true equality is you come, like women were like, hey, we're actually better than you. We're going to go out in front. Could you guys have the same standard as us? And then eventually women went, fuck, well, that's not going to happen, is it? So we might as well go back to their level and well, be equal. How do you, I know how you feel about bodily functions in general. Yes. But in films that Terri- you worse, like worse. that have. Worse. Terrible. 
You don't enjoy oh, it at I all? I hate it. Right. I hate it. Gross out humor is not your Gross thing. Gross out humor. Even in Pitch Perfect, there's this like vomiting. Oh, the vomiting seek. That's oh, insane. You know how I am with vomit. And yeah. like. Diarrhea is not much better. <laughs> no, it's not. It is better though. I'll tell you that because the other thing with diarrhea is you rarely, <laughs> like in movies, I mean, like the other thing with movie diarrhea is it's rarely, not without exception, but it's rarely seen. It's most often implied, right? Yeah. Like you'll hear the sounds. Yeah. But and you'll kind of but it's rare. That you although, actually see excrement. Yeah. Whereas like these days you see vomit you all see the time. Come. Like when did you like, like when did a cum lot of, become like a lot so of, acceptable now? Just like I think something about Mary turned No, yeah. it would be no Science of the Lambs was the first cum I saw in a mainstream film. Yeah, but that was meant to be like an adult shocking like this was a serial killer. Yeah. Like or no, he was a but whoever. Like Multiple uh, mids. It was a, Yeah, he was. Yeah, right. So yeah, like this and deranged who's like masturbating on someone in a prison. Yeah. Like that's edgy, right? Yeah. But I think something about Mary made it mainstream. <laughs> something about Mary made it just funny that you could suddenly joke about the idea if somebody had too much gel in their hair that they had cum in their hair. It's actually, and now they just show Cum. Yeah. As long as it doesn't come out of a penis, but you're allowed to show. Isn't that weird? Like you can show a flaccid penis and right. then come, but the middle part, right? Like not even an erect penis, not going anywhere. Erect penis is too full on for us to take. It's like if you're going to show me the start and the end, just give me the second act as I well. I guess if they can show you a baby, they can show you cum. Oh, definitely. I mean, they're both the same, right? And also, like one, it's just one or the other. Look, I'm not sure. I if, mean, they're not both the same. You, clearly, if, I know I'm not sure if you've heard this but... thing called the internet, okay. but I think most people have seen. <laughs> Every liquid come out of every, every orifice a few times over by now. So if you're going to dramatize like a bit of cum or whatever, I don't think you're going to shock anyone. It's always a lot of cum. That's what I notice about when they have like cum jokes in things. Yeah. I'm always like, that person has not come for a while because I obviously it's to make it read on like film and to make it comical. You know, big or small think- is comical, but like... It always feels like that's a lot of cum. Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, tried to put a nail in the cum gag by... Doing, have you seen the Brothers Grimm? No, spoilers. Grimsby, Grimsby, whatever it's called. I have the Brothers Grimm is a, isn't that like a Terry Gilliam film? Very different. Uh, but there is a scene where he and look, I didn't like the film, but I did admire the fact that wow, like an episode of South Park, it's like, oh, you're just gonna go for it and you know, fuck what happens. There is a scene where he hides inside an elephant's vagina. And they film inside the vagina where he's hiding, and you think, "Whoa!" Hang on, it's, it's not a real. Is it? It can't be inside a real no, elephant's no. vagina, though. Right? <laughs> no, it's the set. way you said that, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. Like he went to that rodeo, <laughs> yeah, and that was real life. Did he really get in an elephant's vagina? No, I no. feel like I would have heard more about that on the news. <laughs> no, I feel like Peter wouldn't have been <laughs> particularly happy with that. But it's a realistic-looking elephant's vagina, so right. he's hiding in there. And Great I'm like, day for the people in props when they're like, "Hey guys, what are you making? Giant elephant's vagina?" Yeah. Excellent, but it's it's like but it's gross enough because he's in there and he's slopping. The good up. news is also that could be used as a really effective fleshlight for a oh, male yeah. elephant. Yeah, like once they're well, done with to it. Liam Neeson afterwards. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Actually, to be honest, this is not an elephant's vagina. It's Liam Neeson's <laughs> fleshlight. <laughs> so he gets into the vagina, and just when you think that's gross enough, then a male elephant comes along, gets aroused, and you're like. Okay, we'll just see the elephant uh, go up. But then yeah, you see the penis go uh, in, and then you see him getting hit in the face with a giant elephant dick, and you're like, uh, oh, wow, they've really pushed this joke as far as I can go. Then he gets drenched in elephant cum, like gallons of elephant cum. Like, they show it. And it is, and then he slides out of the elephant's vagina covered in cum. It's, I mean, that's why I reckon he's tried to say, okay, you think you can do gross out humor? 
fucking beat this. Hold my beer. <laughs> I'm about to do the biggest cum gag on the planet. Right. And look, yeah, I okay, I understand that that's in some ways there is some like something Merit. to admire in that. <laughs> yes. But for me there is nothing to admire in that. No. To me I'm like I didn't even like the like that's for me going somebody going ah oh, well like somebody like has got a gun so I better have a nuclear weapon. I'm like no no no, <laughs> let's just get rid of the gun. In the Borat film where he has the nude fight with his manager and they run around and he gets like the ass in his face and stuff. Did that make you laugh? Yeah. 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 If, as long as stuff isn't coming out. <laughs> That's a great quote. As long Will Anderson, as long as stuff isn't coming out, words to live by. All right. Next movie. Right. Is it my guy? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, I, I want to let people know at home, by the way, that Charlie not only is like, Definitely messing up the DVDs each time, but also that time closed your eyes. Yeah. Want to keep it interesting for us. Uh, it is an excellent movie uh, by a former politician, although he wasn't a former politician, he was a future politician at the time when he made this movie. Uh, now back as a movie star. I watched one of his movies, in fact, uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, Terminator 2. Uh, it is uh, Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nothing on the front. This is a special edition. Looks Nothing. like a fairly recent purchase, like a, a recent edition. On the back, a creature from another world, dot, dot, dot. And this time, Schwarzenegger is the prey. Ooh. You know you're a big star when, when they like swap out time. the character's name yeah. and, and they put your actual name in. And also, they're just bringing in previous things he's done as other characters to like flip it around, like this time he's the prey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is like the first movie. Yeah, exactly. What are you like, talking about? I mean, <laughs> is there a precedent? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in this action-packed adventure story of fighting men pitted against an unseen enemy, a force more powerful than their fiercest weapons. Can you have fierce weapons? Powerful weapons. Powerful weapons. They should have just... A, a force more fierce than their, than their powerful weapon. Anyway... Recruited by the CIA to recruit hostages held by guerrilla fighters in a Central American country. And that's a good point because I've never to this date wondered what Arnie and his mates were doing in that jungle. It seems kind of like secondary because the main plot is being hunted down by this alien. But of course, they're there. The CIA have them there. Dylan brings in Arnie and his mates to go rescue, get something from a. Guerrilla right, fighters go. in Central American country. Schwarzenegger and his men encounter an enemy unimaginably more deadly than any on Earth because the Predator is not of this Earth. Packed with spectacular special effects and combat scenes of gut-wrenching power, Predator is the most terrifying Schwarzenegger movie yet. You know what that is? That's a monster energy drink of blurbs. It really is. The other one was more like your wacky kind of like comedy. This one's like pumped up powerful fucking action. Yeah, it just says, we've got action scenes. Yeah, we're extreme. These weapons are fierce, fierce, fierce. Uh, here we go. Let's. Uh, the plot here on Wikipedia is not too bad. So Have think- you ever gone to see a film based on spectacular special effects and combat scenes? Yeah, I think people do now, now these days. Transformers. Don't they? Yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's all you go to see those movies about, right? Uh, a spacecraft flies near Earth and releases a bright object which enters the atmosphere. Wow, they're really starting from fucking line one of the script with this synopsis. It, it, it's only six paragraphs, though, okay. so it's not too bad. In the Valverde jungle. Uh, Major Alan Dutch Schaefer and his team. I, I, we used to even do that handshake at high school. Dutch! Well, Dylan. Ma- what's the matter, Dylan? They got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and his team, Medic Mac Elliott, Tracker Billy Soul, Gu- Gunner Blaine Cooper, Explosive Experts Dude. Jorge Poncho Ramirez, and Radio Operator Rick Hawkins are tasked by the CIA. Shane Black, I believe. He may also have been the writer of this film. That's right. He plays Hawkins. A task by the CIA with rescuing an official held hostage by insurgents. Yeah, so okay. Hey, this film is written by two brothers called Jim and John Thomas. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the Thomas brothers? Yeah, but John Thomas. John Thomas. <laughs> I mean, I, I reckon he hated Jim. Yeah. He's always like, why did Jim get Jim? <laughs> and I got fucking John Don't Thomas. Don't worry. He's a Jimmy. You put a Jimmy on your John Thomas. <laughs> CIA agent liaison and former U.S. Army Colonel George Dillon, a former commando and an old friend of Dutch, is assigned to supervise the team despite Dutch's reservations. I never knew Dillon's first name was George. Yep, George. Uh, The team discovers the wreckage of a chopper and three skinned corpses, Mm. whom... Dutch identifies as members of U.S. Special Army's force, Army Special Forces unit he knew personally. They reach the insurgent camp and kill the soldiers, including a Soviet intelligence officer searching through secret CIA documents. I mean, that's a bad place to have your CIA documents, though. Yeah. Middle of the jungle. Uh, confronted by Dutch, Dylan admits the mission was a setup to retrieve intelligence right, from captured it. operatives and that the dead unit disappeared weeks earlier in a failed rescue. So it's all a cover-up. To lure them there. Bloody CIA. After capturing a gorilla named Anna. A gorilla, an actual gorilla. An actual gorilla <laughs> named Anna. That's like, what are you doing? You're on the wrong continent. Yeah. Actually, later on, played drums in a Cadbury commercial based on Phil Collins from Genesis. It all makes sense, people. Wake up, sheeple. Wake up. After capturing a gorilla named Anna, the group proceeds to extraction, unaware they are being tracked with thermal imaging by an unseen observer. So they grab... Her, the yeah. gorilla. Yeah. What's her name? Anna. Anna. Anna the gorilla. Now, was that just so people didn't think this group of guys was too gay? Uh, like, think about it. Why do you need Anna in this film? Because uh, so they think they have a mission that they're meant to be. Well, it gives you it gives Dutch something, someone to rescue. Yeah, exactly. But and you don't they really need to have a need mission because. But don't you think it's it's? I mean, this film is quite homoerotic in terms of like all the oiled up muscle men running around in the jungle. Shh, don't tell anyone. Right. What happens in the jungle stays in the jungle, and I think they just threw in a bit of like female influence. So it's not too much of a sausage fest, don't you reckon? This to me seems like a studio note. Too many oiled up muscle men. Get a chick in there. Uh, Anna escapes and is chased by Hawkins, but they're ambushed by the creature. It spares Anna, but kills Hawkins and drags his body away. Dutch organises a manhunt during which Blaine is killed by the creature's plasma weapon. An enraged, uh, enraged Mac initiates a firefight which wounds the creature, revealing luminescent green blood, but it fails to draw it out. The unit regroups and questions Anna, learning that their stalker is a cr- creature... Oh, no, she's there for exposition as well. Ah, right. Uh, learning that their stalker is a creature locals call El Demoni- De- De- Demonio... Queer, I'm not going to say it. So, the demon, the demon who makes trophies of men. Well, that's fairly specific. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds more exotic in their local language. I mean, I mean it's a real like question of semantics because maybe, is he the demon who makes trophies for men? Because that could be quite useful, especially, you know, on Oh, yeah, no, we've got, uh, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're trying to get some uh, trophies done for the kids. Oh, no, no, you got it Best all wrong. Clubman. I'm not here to hunt you. I'm here to make trophies. Uh, uh, your footy uh, club booked me. Uh, you know what? I'm the demon who makes trophies for men. <laughs> I've got to change that in the book because yeah. it is so close, particularly in the native this language. This happens a lot. You yeah, I mean, it's okay. Don't. It's totally fine. Yeah. I get this a lot. My mistake. Please, Don't worry about it. it everything is fine. <laughs> 
that <laughs> night, Mac. <laughs> Matt. Maybe that's what he's trying to say to Arnie at the end when he takes his helmet off. It's, it's like, like huge, mis- huge misunderstanding. Honestly, I just came here to give you Look, some trophies. I agree. Things escalated. You did some stuff you're probably not proud of. I've done some stuff I'm not proud of. But honestly, I just want to make trophies. That's why people say that the millennials, all they want is trophies. It's the influence of the predator. <laughs> yeah. That night, Mac mistakes a wild pig for the creature and kills it. That's right. In the confusion, the creature steals a Blaine's body, leading to Dutch to realize their enemy uses the trees to travel. The next day, an attempt to trap the creature fails, leaving Poncho injured. Mac and Dylan pursue the alien, but it outwits and kills them both. It catches up with the others, killing Billy and Poncho and wounding Dutch. Realizing the creature does not target unarmed prey because it's it's no sport. Oh, that's right. So that's why she's there. Because Dutch, there is a there is yeah, a moment where she that pi- plot point as where well. she picks up a gun and Arnie kicks the gun out of her hands so she doesn't become a target. Yeah, she's exposition woman basically. Yeah. Um, Anna Exposition. Uh, Dutch. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the creature is only... Uh, 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 realizing the creature. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, Dutch sends Anna to the helicopter unarmed. We've got to mention the helicopter because obviously... The chopper? Yeah, the, no one in the week is the chopper. <laughs> um, the creature pursues him through a river, causing its cloaking device to malfunction. That's right. Though the creature is only a few feet from Dutch, he does not see him and moves on. Dutch realizes that the mud covering his body is masking his heat signature from the creature's thermal sensor. And also cleaning his pores, which is a wonderful uh, Well, this would have been the bit where I was like, you got all these like muscly, oily guys in the jungle and now he's having a mud bath. Mud bath, yeah. (laughs) Get the woman back in! (laughs) Get her back from the chopper! Um, While the creature removes the spinal columns from the bodies, Dutch crafts traps and weapons and lures the creature with a war cry. He disables its cloaking device and inflicts minor injuries, but is cornered. Acknowledging Dutch is a worthy foe, the creature discards its mask and weapon and engages him in hand-to-hand combat. Mm. Dutch is almost beaten, but crushes the creature under a trap's counterweight. As the creature lies dying, Dutch asks, what the hell are you? but it simply repeats the question in garbled English before activating a self-destruct device, echoing Billy's laughter as the countdown begins. Dutch takes cover just before the self-destruct device explodes in a mushroom cloud. He's picked up by his commander, General Phillips, and Anna in the helicopter. The chopper. All right, so this question, right? So at the end, he's got the creature pinned. He asks, who are you? The creature triggers the nuclear bomb and then starts laughing Billy's laugh. Like, the the predator obviously know that because the predator's just recording sounds to mimic, obviously to make him a better predator. Yeah. But he uses the laughter at exactly the right w- way to make the laugh happen, almost like a maniacal kind of laugh. And then I seem to remember his mandibles start like laughing as well. So why does he need to play the laugh? Can't he just uh, can't he just like do his own alien laugh? Maybe it's like a soundboard, you know, like yeah, like right. from a breakfast radio but show. He's, so but he's the, taking like. But the predator appears to actually be laughing as he's playing Billy's. Laugh. But maybe he can't communicate in that way, so he's taking all these things like sampling. He's like the he's like the avalanches. Right. He's getting all these samples, and then he can drop them but, in the right moments. But he's expre- But he genuinely. But do you think the predator is in that moment expressing like the same emotion, which is like, ha, 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 I've got you now. I mean, I feel like that plot point isn't cleared up. No. <laughs> it's hard to know how much the predator understands about our ways. Uh, Trivia. Uh, well, here's what I was going to say. Like, uh, what's the? What do you think the most? Because this is like the, the full neg- of great lines. This is the neck. Oh, the. Uh, I ain't got time to bleed. If it, I was going to say, I no, think bleeds. If it bleeds, it. we can kill it. Oh, which yeah. I think is probably the. When I was there, I ain't got time to bleed. Not bad. Yep. Um, what a bleeding stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of bleeding. Uh, now trivia for this. 
You know the original creature who who played the original creature? No. You won't. Really? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hang on, what? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Shut Originally, the fuck up. If you watch the bonus features, No way. Originally... No way is that true. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, originally the creature looked more like a giant cockroach. It didn't look like the predator that we all know today. And they actually shot for weeks using Jean-Claude Van Damme as like he was under the, the foam suit. But then they sacked him after a couple of weeks. They rethought the film and they got Stan Winston in who designed the six foot ten predator suit. So hang on, Van Damme is the original predator. Was in it, but then didn't make the cut. Yeah, well, he was in it in like a in a, in a suit, man in a suit. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell! There's even footage of it online. It looks like a giant red cockroach running well, around. Hang on, I'm just going to go to uh, 15 things you probably didn't know about Predator. <laughs> so these these may well sequel be... to 10 things I hate about you. This 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 may well be things that you already know about Predator or that we've already discussed. Um, all right. Uh, here we go. Oh, okay. The the movie, uh, wasn't called uh, Predator until after production. What do you do? You know what it was called beforehand? Killer from Space. <laughs> no. Why are you no. laughing? Because that's so right or so wrong. <laughs> it's, it's wrong. <laughs> because it's like a good description, but it's also wrong. I was laughing for two reasons. Okay. Uh, the movie was almost titled Hunter. Hunter was the original it's movie. Pretty good. Predator is better though. Yeah. Predator is definitely better. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, the pitch for the movie name dropped some recognizable movie hits. Uh, the screenwriters pitched Predator to studios as Jim and John Thomas. Uh, let me guess, they pitched it yep. as Halloween meets Star Wars. No, Halloween meets Platoon. You're in the kind of right vibes. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth meets um, Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> Rocky meets Alien. Oh, fuck, Rocky! The film that I reference more than any other film on the planet. How is it Rocky? Well, I guess, like, I don't know. There's I, a like, guy with muscles in it. Yeah. That's about fighting, it. Fighting an alien. Jim and John Thomas have got What we're saying pitches. is a guy bashes an alien. What else do you want? And which Rocky are we talking about? Because he loses the first one. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's Rocky 2 meets Alien. No, hang on. You know you're in trouble when your writers are terrible with metaphors and similes. It's Alien meets Alien 2. So, aliens? It was. It's Alien meets... It's my, my stepmother is an alien. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Uh, the film was shot entirely on location south of the border. Uh, they're actually in uh, Puerto Vallarta yeah. in uh, Mexico. Uh, all right. Uh, Shane Black was cast for his script expertise, not his acting chops. Right. So they got him on board to punch up the script. And they said, we'll give you and a And they said, well, we'll give you a part because we've already got to be out there in the jungle. You can be throwing... It's easier for you to be throwing around lines yeah, if you're actually just there, right? Uh, Black, who plays Hawkins, had previously written uh, the screenplay Weapon. for Lethal Weapon. Uh, he was covertly cast in the film, so he'd be available to make on-the-fly and uncredited script changes. So if you're Jim, and, so you're Jim and John Thomas, and you arrive first day shooting, and you're like, "Oh, okay, there's Arnie and Cal Weathers," and is that Shane Black, the guy who just sold Lethal Weapon for like over a million dollars? Well, it's, well, we're fucked. We're so fucked. It's like I said the new Transformers movies, and one of the regular characters is Aaron Sorkin, who yeah. wrote The West Wing. They're like, "Hang on." I feel like they didn't get him in for his acting here. I feel like he's been punching up this script a little. Suddenly, Optimus Prime's doing a lot of walk and talks with Bumblebee. <laughs> uh, oh, of course, we didn't mention uh, 
this, of course, we have mentioned this previously on the podcast because we've you know, talked about Predator before, of course. Um, but uh, two uh, future politicians in this movie because, of course, Jesse Ventura. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who would later serve as the governor, governor of Minnesota. Of Minnesota, right. Uh, the look of the commandos was based on the Sergeant Rock comics. Okay. Uh, Hawkins can be seen reading a Sergeant Rock comic in the end credits. And I believe that Shane Black is actually making, making a Sergeant Rock film with The Rock. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> I think that's true. Look, maybe. I mean, that should be true. That That's a good enough pitch. I'm pretty days. sure The Rock pitched a, a, posted a photo of him and Shane Black doing a read-through. And it's all in the same universe as The Predator. So oh The Predator God. can Everything be is it. linked. Goes back to Jack Singer. Uh, old, uh, old Painless shot blanks. That's the big Gatling gun. Yeah. Uh, it was extreme, still extremely deadly. The GEM-134 minigun wielded by Ventura's character oh. didn't shoot live rounds, but for safety reasons, the cast and crew were required to stand at least 50 feet away when it was fired. 50 feet? Well, they clearly didn't want to have a, like a, a crow-style yeah, incident, yeah. right? Uh, the well, pre- well, considering it was made eight years before the crow, probably. Well, man, even wor- it would have been worse with that gun, though, right? <laughs> yeah, all the cast died. Oh my Come and see this movie. All the cast died during it. I mean, it'd make a lot of money, right? Ugh. Like, particularly if it's one of those, like, Final Destination movies or whatever, if you, like, did Final oh, Destination so, yeah. 5, right, you cast a bunch of kind of up-and-coming well, young Hollywood, like, people, and then you just kill them all before, like, they all die on well, set it's, it's, in something just before. It's right there in front of us, Expendables 4. I mean, they're all on they their all way die. out. They're all expendable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, that's how you... This time, they truly were all expendable. I mean, how many more films does Chuck Norris and fucking Mickey Rourke have in them? I reckon you say, guys, we're going to take you yep. all out with a Gatling gun. No, you go. In the third scene, you get shot by a Gatling gun. And they're like, uh, you mean I pretend to be? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> okay. This is awkward. Um, <laughs> Read your contract. So at the time, you were in your trailer. We had three lawyers. You were smoking a three giant Three lawyers. Bomb. Three. Uh, all right. Uh, the Predator's heat vision isn't actually heat vision. Uh, the film uh, makers attempted to use actual heat vision for the Predator, but the specific camera proved impractical for the on-location shoot. Instead, normal footage was made into negative image. Impro- oh, so they faked the heat vision and the colors were added. Uh, the Predator's glowing green blood was made from glow sticks. Hmm. Yeah. In the jungle after right. Earth Core. <laughs> yeah, there'd been, there'd been a bush door. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine running into fucking the Predator at a bush door. You're out in the middle of the fucking wild. You've like. Just taken mushrooms. You've taken some ayahuasca <laughs> and you run into the fucking Predator when you go for a wee. Uh, all right. Um, Get to the chill out tent. <laughs> There's bean bags and headphones. <laughs> then no one make it to the silent disco. <laughs> uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Here you there go. you go. Jean Claude Van Damme was the original guy in the Predator suit. Uh, hey, it says here that he was fired from the movie because he complained too much about how uncomfortable the suit was. Well, if he just called the guys from Altitude, yep. <laughs> they could have come and adjusted it for him. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I'm guessing too. That's pre his, you know, big, first big leading role. I mean, this is probably his first break, right, Van Dam? I guess so. Uh, the original design for the Predator was scrapped. Okay, you told there me you that. Uh, James Cameron partly inspired the creature's new design. Yeah, it looks kind of Cameron-esque, doesn't it? Does, it? Doesn't it? Uh, while on a flight during the production of Aliens, 
Cameron mentioned to Winston, who was sketching ideas for the new Predator, that he'd always wanted to see a monster with mandibles. Huh. I feel like this is the sort of thing that like James, James Cameron, Cameron says. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know what I've always liked to see? Like Donald Trump. A monster with <laughs> mandibles. Build me a thing that can get me to a planet where there's monsters with mandibles. Winston added the new oral appendages to the final drawing of the updated Predator. <clears throat> um, the fully functioning suit weighed upward of 200 pounds which was a lot of weight for Kevin Peter Hall, the seven-foot-tall ballet dancer, martial arts expert, and actor they brought in to replace Van Damme. I mean, when they say ballet dancer, how many... would you? If you saw a seven-foot like ballet dancer, it would disrupt your enjoyment of Swan Lake, wouldn't it? He plays the like. <laughs> the entire like. The break in production was a blessing in disguise. The stop in production to re- redesign The Predator allowed the filmmakers to edit an hour of the movie together to show the studio. They liked it so much, they gave the production more money to create bigger action sequences in the last third of the movie once filming picked up again. So I'm sure Jean-Claude Van Damme feels great about that. You know what? Once you took that annoying Belgian out of it, it's so much better. Here's more money. <laughs> uh, last but not least, Optimus Prime what? and Predator have the same voice. Peter Cullen, who is uncredited in Predator, provided the voice for both Optimus Prime and Predator. When does it use its voice? I don't know. At the end? I can't remember that bit. I don't know. Where he says, uh, when he says, Autobots transform roll out. and roll yeah, out. Roll out. <laughs> yeah. Predators transform and roll out. You remember that bit, right? No. Nah. I mean, that's how I thought was the whole point, was the Predator speaks in samples. Mm. Yeah. Should we take a little break? Yeah, let's have a little break. And we're back. We're back. All right. Is it my turn or your turn? Yeah, your turn. My turn. All right. I'm going to go here. And uh, this is a movie, Charlie. Uh, You can read out the title there. Center Stage. Center Stage. About the cutthroat world of ballet dancers in New York. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie that I saw by myself at a cinema Yeah, uh, at about 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, post- uh, radio show. I went down to a cinema and it was me and then it was a whole bunch of mums with their daughters. So I looked incredibly <laughs> creepy. That's what I remember. Um, it was a buy one, get uh, get two for $50 sale at Sanity. So back in the day where that was a bargain. dollars for a DVD. Right. Jesus. And that was their bargain though. Yeah, right. Is that how much DVDs were? I can't and remember. They were expensive for a while. There was a moment. I, I used to have a problem. A, where this I... one was $26.95, it says on the back. Holy shit, that's, that seems overs. Uh, well, then again, but you're bringing the experience home, aren't you, Will? All the dancing, the prancing, a little mincing. I think there might be some vomiting in this one as well. I think one of them's got a like an eating disorder. My memory, I, I don't think I saw it at the movies, but I do remember seeing it a couple of times Hangover Day film. It definitely seems to be amongst my friends, a Hangover Day film. And I seem to recall... Is it is it, is, it, is the girl from the wrong side of the tracks, the one who joins the ballet school? Is she like a plumber yeah. or something? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. Read uh, the okay. plot. Well, let's... Yeah, we'll, we'll, on the front cover, let's have a look okay. at what it says. This is the collector's edition, by the way. Oh, uh, good. So, you know, obviously yeah. for collectors. For collectors only. The perverts edition. <laughs> uh, the tagline for this movie is Center Stage. Life doesn't hold tryouts. Although it does, it's mostly just yeah, tryouts. Mainly, life yeah. is actually a mostly job interview tryouts. is a tryout. Everything pretty much in life is a tryout yeah. for something you or You don't another. just get given any given no, things. No, dating someone is a tryout, going yeah. to school is a tryout, you're measured in that. Yeah, even just like... Even when you go like for clothes, you're trying them on, you're trying out for clothes. Life is mostly tryouts. tryouts. 
Center Stage 2. Sorry, we were wrong. <laughs> Life is mostly tryouts, as is this movie. Um, all right, so that's what it says who, on the front. Who does it say who the stars are? It doesn't I, I, say. No stars get a I remember Zoe's, Zoe, a young Zoe Zalander, isn't it? Okay, so let's... Uh, Amanda Schull was the, the top build star. Then uh, Zoe, Zoe Saldana from oh, the... Saldana. From Guardians. the Guardian, Guardians movies. Uh, Susan May Pratt, Peter no. Gallagher, Donna yes. Murphy, no. and Ethan Stifle. So this would have been one of those perfect movies almost to kill everybody. Yeah, definitely. That, Apart from it. Peter Gallagher, because we need, still need to make the OC, remember? Yeah, well, Peter Gallagher might have survived, yeah. but all the kids were out doing something together and they all die. <laughs> Final destination on stage. Uh, so let's have a look at what's in the special features, by the way. Okay. Uh, original widescreen presentation. Well, you want to watch it in widescreen, don't yeah, you? Not fourth. Audio commentary from director Nicholas Hitner. Heitner. That'd actually be worth watching. I've never watched the director's commentary, but I'd like to know what was in the director's head. You say, oh, look how hot they are. Oh, you're really perfect. <laughs> uh, extended versions of three key dance sequences. Oh, this is worth watching. Yeah. Extended versions. Uh, two never-before-seen deleted scenes. I Want to Be With You, music video by Mandy Moore. Behind-the-scenes featurette on the making of the movie with cast and crew interviews. Isolated tracks of songs and George Fenton's musical score. Uh, the trailer, talent profiles, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, starring at Peter Gallagher from American Beauty and some of the world's greatest dance talent. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they were all dancers. That's, That's why, why we don't know not household actors. names. Center Stage follows the hopes and dreams of a tight-knit group of young dance students as they try to make a name for themselves in the ultra-competitive world of professional dance. Uh, talented, vibrant, and supremely gifted, they have sacrificed many of life's ordinary pleasures to get this far. But will they risk it all to succeed and experience the thrill of taking... Center, center stage? stage. <laughs> Is it dot, 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 center stage? Uh, no. No. Unfortunately, they don't. They don't, they don't uh, string that one out. Well, they've already used their uh, dot, dot, dot a little bit earlier in that sentence, to be honest, because uh, they went, the pleasures to get this far, dot, 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 <laughs> but will they risk it all? <laughs> so they couldn't have gone with another dot, dot, dot so quickly. Um, let's have a look at the plot for you from Wikipedia. Um, so Center Stage, uh, 2000, year 2000, American teen drama, directed by Nicholas Heitner about a group of young dancers, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it's set at the fictitious American Ballet Academy, it doesn't exist, in New York City. Um, the plot, after a series of countrywide auditions, 12 young dancers gain entry to the American Ballet Academy, uh, which is loosely based on the School of American Ballet. There you go. They work hard, attending classes every day for weeks to make them the best dancers they can possibly be. And in preparations for the final dance workshop, which will determine the three boys and three girls who will be asked to join the American Ballet Company. Which appears to be based on... So only half will get selected. Yeah. The workshop will also provide an opportunity for the students to showcase their talent to other ballet companies across the country. So right. they have this showcase. big showcase day, right? So you want to be lead. You want to be center stage in the showcase mm -hmm. to further career your career opportunities where you will be auditioned and tested at every level <laughs> because life is an audition and a test and trials and tryouts. <laughs> and then you'll go to trial. <laughs> uh, the workshop... Uh, okay. Ramonish. Um, tensions mount between Jonathan Reeves, Peter Gallagher, the company's aging choreographer and director, and Cooper Nielsen, Ethan Stifle, his best dancer, who also wants to choreograph. Arrogant? Yeah. Stifle. I mean, it's in the name, right? They also have issues because Kathleen Donahue, Julie Kent, Cooper's ex-girlfriend and fellow dancer, left him to wed Jonathan. 
All right. Yeah, that's how I remember. Star student Maureen is a closet bulimic who, uh, in that she only throws up in closets, who <laughs> seems to be poised for success, discovers that life is passing her by when she meets a pre-med student. Uh, that's right. She meets like someone who shows her the merits of life outside, outside of, of dance. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> to the dismay of her controlling stage mother, Deborah Monk, herself a failed ballet dancer and current ABC employee. Why is that always the case in dance movies? Like, especially ballet movies, there's always a matriarch. There's always who's a dance bitter. mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A bitter dance mom who's Barbara Hershey into and it. Black Swan. There's a long history in dance of bitter dancers forcing their children into becoming something that has only caused them misery. I mean, it's a bad pattern to keep going. Literally, on. the film should be called Misery. Yeah. Welcome to Dancers Anonymous. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, uh, sweet Jodie Sawyer, uh, despite underdeveloped turnout, body type issues. And- turnout, I believe, is where she puts her toes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, body issues and bad feet is determined to dance. <laughs> this is a technical term. Is determined to dance professionally, but it appears less and less likely as the movie progresses that she'll be good enough. So I mean, sh- sh- we know what's going to happen yourself here. here, guys. Yeah. So, she's going to be fine. Uh, Jody's parents. It'd be great if that was the end of it. And it turns out you're not good enough because <laughs> of your bad feet. Jody's parents. Original title of the movie, Bad Feet. Jody's parents. George Miller heard that. was like, hmm, maybe if I spin that, I could make a fortune. Jonathan Maureen. Yeah, imagine if I said, Happy Feet, based on the original movie, <laughs> Bad Feet. Jonathan Maureen and a cold-hearted ballet teacher, Juliette Simon, uh, try to convince Jody to move on from dance and attend college. Jody refuses to give up on her dream of being in a professional ballet company. Talented but by smart, but uh, talented but smart Alec Eva Rodriguez, um, Joey Saldana, um, from Boston, loves to dance but seems destined to be stuck in the back of the corpse because of her bad attitude. Yeah, I seem she's like the bad boy of the of the dance company. I seem to recall. Tensions also arise between Charlie, a naturally gifted advanced student from Seattle, and Cooper over Jody. Charlie has a crush on Jody, who had a one-night stand with Cooper and remains infatuated with oh my him. Because a lot of fucking bed-hopping going on in well, Sydney State. They don't seem to remember that. But this is what it's like at dance school. It's yeah, all you your would. hot body I mean, and you you're rubbing up that? against All the sweating and stuff. Like I had a couple opportunities uh, yeah. uh, to do Dancing with the Stars. Relationship killer. And I said no. You but- might as well just say to your girlfriend, we're splitting up. Well, part of it's like, I, A, I don't want to dance on, on TV. I think I'd embarrass no. myself. But B, like... I mean, that's got to be dangerous, right? I, Darling, I'll see you later. I'm just going to spend six hours with a really fit, hot chick grinding up against me. You'd be okay with that? All you heard coming out of that show was like, don't let your partner go yeah. on it. Like, just don't let your partner go on it. I mean, people met on it, right? Didn't Rachel, heaps. Rachel Finch? Tom Williams dated that chick for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it was a hot bed of romance. <laughs> That, that's how they pitch it to you. They were like, firstly, Are you how would, you, would you like to fuck a dancer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how's your relationship? <laughs> would you like to fuck a dancer? Uh, by the way, could you be on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> Often people had already signed up by that point. That's how they got so many good celebrities early on. <laughs> Don't you love in Dancing with the Stars too how every uh, year, second year or so there'd be someone in who clearly physically was not up to dancing, like a Molly Meldrum right. or you know, John Wood or like an elderly person. And they would have to partner them up with almost like a full-time carer, less a dancer and more of like a nurse. It's just like, okay, take a step, take another step. That's it's it. weird that like John Wood's uh, finishing move is laying on a bed and then weeing into a like <laughs> silver bowl. Is this... Is this part of it? Is this a thematic thing? It's like, hang on. 
<laughs> like three minutes of that dance, she just put him in front of the TV and she danced around herself. That whole routine was just her rolling him over for bed sores. Hang on. The love will lift us up. <laughs> <laughs> and I give you an eight out of ten. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, despite Jonathan's obje- objections... Cooper choreographs a rock pop music based based ballet for the workshop. He wants to modernise it, you know. Three yeah. ballet he, uh, from memory. He wears a leather jacket, right? Yeah, you know sure. he's a rebel who lives by his own rules. Three right. ballets are presented. Jonathan and another choreographer create the first two, respectively. The two more traditional ballets are not danced to actually ballet music. Uh, the first, not shown before the, but, but uh, not shown beyond the entrances of the corpse and soloists from the wings, is to Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony. That's ben, why Ben, ben Mendelssohn. Yeah, yeah. He originally uh, was just composing. <laughs> <laughs> While Jonathan's ballet, choreographed by Christopher Wielden, is set to Rachmaninoff's uh, second piano concerto. Cooper's ballet uh, mirrors the relationship between himself, Jonathan, and Kathleen. Oh, God. Jody and Charlie, Jody, Charlie, and their gay friend, Eric. <laughs> Why'd they have to say he was gay? Oh, well, I guess they had to. Are set to dance the three lead roles when Eric sprains his ankle oh, in no. final rehearsal. Who's to Jonathan's to? protest and Jody's apprehension, Cooper steps in to fill the role and the tensions between Jody, Charlie and Cooper play out on stage. Or would you say center, center stage? stage. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> After the final workshop, Cooper starts his own dance company, much to Jonathan's chagrin, as Cooper's financial backer is a wealthy widow who Jonathan was hoping would donate to the American uh, Ballet Company. You fucking white-anting bastard. Cooper asks Jody to be principal dancer as her dancing style, though technically deficient, is perfect for his company. <laughs> you are so bad. <laughs> our, our company's going to be called Bad Feet, and I feel like you should be our lead dancer. He also asks to date her, but Jody turns him down in favour of Charlie. Maureen decides to give up ballet because she finally realizes that ballet is just something she does well and not what she wants in life. No, she decides to attend regular university and also seek help for her eating disorder. Oh. Eva is picked uh, by Jonathan to join the ABC. Good. Uh, proving her worth in the workshop, surprising everyone by dancing in place of Maureen as the lead in Jonathan's ballet. Put the attitude aside. Charlie and fellow advanced students and friends, Anna, who was also favored, blah, 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 blah. I asked to join the American Ballet Company. Okay, who cares? No, okay. I don't care about yeah, this. No. Once we get past the three lead characters, we don't really care. Yep. Okay. All there right, next go. one. All right, next one. A film that we have talked about a lot on this show. Ba- oh, in fact, didn't last week maybe well, or I the week so, before, yeah. Batman Returns. Uh, nothing on the front, on the back. And this is a quote from, I mean, it's in quotation marks, but it's not credited to anyone. So I guess we don't know who wrote this. Funny, wild, imaginative. A visual marvel. I reckon the person who wrote that also wrote the blurb to interview with the vampire. That's what I would say. Isn't it ironic that a DC film would be called a visual marvel? I also love the idea that it is an unattributed quote. Yeah, so that could come from anyone. From anyone. Anyone. That's Tim Burton. (laughs) (laughs) How Tim Burton described his own film. Uh, What is the blurb? There's there's no blurb because this is a special edition. This is a two-disc special edition. Uh, so it's just a list of all the special features. Okay, well, that's just a good one. We don't have to go through it because we've talked about it heaps before. But let's just put that one in the mix because that's definitely one that would be hard at home to pick whether that's yours or mine. Definitely. So let's just not give any more information. Well, just to make it even harder, I have multiple copies of this. We both have multiple copies of this. Did that make it harder or easier? Because the way you said I have multiple copies of this implied that that was my copy. Did it? 
I didn't. Well, that's not, that was not my intention. Well, maybe it was my intention. I'm just oh. saying that this film is so synonymous with us. We both have multiple copies. Mm. But whose particular copy is this? Is this one? <laughs> and remember, kids. People hate this film, and I've always liked it. It's it's not perfect. If you're looking for a Batman way. film, it's probably no good. <laughs> but if you're looking for just a a fun, weird piece of like, I mean, this is a mainstream film. A mainstream. Think about what superhero films are now. And this is a film that starts with a deformed child being flushed into the sewers by his parents, which culminates in this same monster kidnapping everyone's children to kill them. Right. <laughs> like, and that's a PG. No, it's rated M. Shit, that would have been unusual for the for the day. Like it's. Look, I, I really, this is the period of Tim Burton where I was really into Tim Burton. I really liked that kind of super weird gothic style. Before he started parodying himself, this is, this film is what Tim Burton parodies now every time he makes a film, right? Right. Lots of spirals and weird little circus freaks and all that kind of shit. I like it. What do you reckon? Yeah, I also like it. Two thumbs up from both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Uh, all right. Uh, we're getting down the bottom of this. Uh, okay, here we go, Charlie. You can uh, read out the title there. Now, do we say it the way we say it, or do we say it the way the filmmaker... We say it the way the filmmaker clerks. says it. Clerks. Clerks, because it's about American clerks. Yeah. If it was about two Australian guys doing the same job, we wouldn't even really call them clerks, I because think, I think no that, one even really says clerks nah, anymore. And I think that word's... Tr- we've just uh, accepted the American pronunciation. Is there days. a chance that this movie... Uh, like, do you say desk clerk or desk clerk? Uh, desk. I don't say either. All oh, right. Never, never said those clerk. things ever. In even my we at life. a hotel desk clerk. No. Never said that before. Okay. I've never even imagined that clerk somebody Kent? might. <laughs> it's definitely clerk Kent in Australia. Yeah. When he moved to Australia, everyone would keep pronouncing his name clerk. That makes it no works sense. the opposite thing. Because <laughs> it's the Southern Hemisphere. Well, because so it's we call is... Clark, and yeah. then here we call the name clerk. <laughs> Oh, we love that a great American superhero, Clerk Kent. Clerk Kant. <laughs> Clerk Kant. Clerk Kant is a different superhero. <laughs> that was his other identity. He actually had two secret identities. This guy, identities. it's a bird, it's a plane. Mom. No, it's Clerk Kant. He's a real prick. You don't want to invite him around. He was doing, yeah, he, like he just occasionally would turn into Clerk Kant. <laughs> Well, you know when Superman could get the red... Was it the red kryptonite that could turn him evil? Whatever. There was a coloured kryptonite that right. could turn him evil. But maybe there was also a coloured kryptonite that could turn Clark Kent evil. Yeah, right. So he didn't turn into evil Superman. He just turned into evil Clark Kent, who was Clerk Kent. Uh, Clerks is the Clerks. movie. Uh, uh, what if... Uh, I mean, we were talking about Chris Cornell the other day and we were sort of romanticising the 90s. But Clerks for me... Came out when I was in my last year of high school, I think, or at least year 11 or year 12. And it was in the era of indie. There was indie music. There was indie film. There was indie art. Like, it was exciting to be at that age when a film like that came out, which, you know, as everyone knows, was made for like $24,000 in the shop where he worked and got picked up by Miramax and sort of gave him a career. But that's kind of... I think that probably would be the first thing that put me on the track to the career I have now. It was like, fuck, man, anyone can do it. I'm going <laughs> to, you know what I love about that is like, well, the major feedback we're getting from your movie is it's inspirational because they think, fuck, anyone can do it. 
I think Kevin Smith, to his credit, think, would be fine with that. I know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard him say that. Because he had the same feeling. He went and saw Hal Hartley's, one of Hal Hartley's films. Oh, no, maybe a Richard Linklater film. I think it was in that era of those sort of films being made. Indie, yeah. indie mumblecore films where you could make a film where just a bunch of people hanging out in a suburb and there's no real kind of like, you know, first, second, third act. It's just like slice of life. And that's... And that's what made him want to make Clerks and sort of did the same thing for a lot of other filmmakers. I well, reckon. I'm going to go a step further with this movie and just say it, this podcast would not exist without this movie. Because I think this is the movie that gets both of us into you know the idea of Kevin Smith. Like essentially what we do on this podcast is that sort of version of Randall and Dante. You know, it's just, just talking. Just talking. It's just yeah. people having conversations and kind of thinking that those conversations might be in of themselves interesting you know if you yeah. yeah if you can talk it about interesting things in an interesting enough way and but also the fact that like you know it was probably the thing that initially you know got us interested in kevin smith which meant we listened to smodcast which meant that we kind of had this idea podcast. that we could start this podcast so he's right that idiot can do it we yeah. can do it <laughs> right this whole podcast is based on the idea of if that idiot can do it we can do it yeah but it was that it was the first time i remember seeing a film where i was like oh wow these guys talk like me and my friends like it was, you know, those characters were probably, you know, five or six years older than I was. But just to hear them talk about like Star Wars and sex nonstop and insult each other nonstop. I'm like, oh, yeah, because like, I guess teen movies up until then had for me had been like John Hughes style films. I hadn't become aware of Richard Linklater at the time or anything like that. But that to me felt like the most authentic voice of my generation. Um, I'm going to look up because uh, I think it had an anniversary right recently. Uh, so probably uh, what would it be? I'm gonna see. Uh, let's go. Twelve. Uh, twelve things. Facts about twelve facts about Kevin Smith's Clerks. Uh, you might not have known. Uh, all right. Uh, Clerks is loosely based on the Divine Comedy by Dante. Hmm. Hence the name of the protagonist, Dante. Didn't know that. Uh, there are also nine breaks in the movie to represent the nine rings of hell. That's right. I can believe forgot about that. The title cards. Uh, Silent Bob was born in this film, but only had one line in the film. I mean, his name was Silent Bob. Makes sense, right? <laughs> the line was originally meant to be delivered by Jay, but Jason Mewes had such trouble delivering it that Kevin Smith decided to say it himself. This turned into a tradition for the rest of the films featuring Jay and Silent Bob. Yep. Uh, the film's shoestring budget is part of the reason it was shot in black and white. A number of different types of lighting were used, and this would have required a lot of post-production to solve issues relating to the varying color temperatures. With black and white, that isn't a problem. Uh, Kevin Smith worked in the store. We know that, right? Uh, Kevin Smith financed this movie by maxing out his credit cards and selling his comic books. That's kind of part of the mythology. That was, yeah. That's cool. This though, is what right? we liked, though. That yeah. was kind of part of the story of the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, the scene where Dante confronts Caitlin about her marriage to an Asian design major in the video store is done in one shot, which lasts for over five minutes. It was shot on the first night of filming. That's pretty cool. Um, despite having no violence in the film, almost no violence in the film, it was originally given an NC-17 rating by, uh, based solely on its graphic dialogue. Uh, the film's distributor Miramax hired an attorney, oh, Aaron D Alan Dershowitz, a member of O.J. Simpson's defense team. I was going to say. Who successfully petitioned uh, to lower its rating to R without any cuts. Isn't that insane? Like, that's only 20 years ago. They were trying to make a film X-rated because of language. Like, how far we have come since then. Now we have a president who speaks like that. I mean, it's pretty great, right? Um, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I think most of the other things there we know. But All right. Great film. Two to go. Great film. 
Your go? No, I, go. I did that one, so it must be uh, your go. Uh, okay, so this movie, uh, incredibly timely, Idiocracy. Amazing. This is like one of my all-time... I love Mike Judge. Office Space, I reckon, is like a really underrated film as well. Do you watch yeah. Silicon Valley? I agree. Love it. Silicon Valley love it. is one of the best TV shows going laugh, around. Laugh out loud, hilarious. So well Incredibly written. Incredibly satirical. So of its time. Yeah. But perfectly balanced characters, right? You know, yeah. you you once said to me something about why you love The Simpsons is they don't waste a character. And I feel that's the same way in Silicon Valley. Like, actors will come in for one scene, one character, one scene, and it's fucking dynamite. Like, you could make an entire series about that character. Yeah, absolutely. And I, in fact, I, perhaps that's maybe the only thing sometimes that you go, like some of them are almost cartoonish because they do come in so sort of fully formed and fully apparent on screen. But it's it's not meant to be like a mockumentary or like, you know, set in kind of a re- – it's a fantasized version of something that is actually real. But but we don't really have an experience of. Yeah. So it, it has that great ability to probably be like – parodying and mirroring a lot of things that do happen in that Silicon Valley world. Mm. But at the same time, for the rest of us who aren't familiar with the day-to-day of it, it works. Well, it's the same way that like Game of Thrones, you can have no idea what they're talking about or referencing. But once you get an an ear for the dialogue and the rhythm, you get a sense of what they're talking about. Right. It's like you want, it's like, it's like music. Um, No, I, it's, it's such a great show. Like it's, it's, and I know a, a couple of the people who, you know, who are in it. Like I know TJ Miller a little bit and I know, Kumail Nanjiani a little bit more than that, and I've known some of Alex Wedelin and a few other Alice Wedelin and a few other people who did uh, comedians that I do shows with, mm-hmm. like in LA. But it's always one of those things when I see someone in it, I just go, "Oh, you lucky bastard!" This is this would be, you know what? I don't want to be in a show, but I want to be in this, this show. Way. It's like if there was a role for me in that show, I would learn how to be an actor just to do that role. It's so well cast; it's hard to imagine that like they didn't. I mean, maybe they did. They, they actually found the, the performer and then wrote the show around them because it's it's amazing. Like, I, I if you haven't caught up, you, you can binge it all on iTunes. I just did. But sometimes it's like hilarious, also in that way. Do you remember that? Like, I mean, this is not spoilers, really. There's that. There's a time where they essentially they're trying to pitch their company to a whole different bunch of other companies, and one of them is a massive porn. Uh, supplier and they go to that convention where it's all the people from the different websites that are in the like adult industry and just this like this sketch this kind of pan they do just on the little like name tablets in front of them of all these companies and all this it's honestly it's one of those things that you can just rewind and watch again and like just laugh and laugh it's such a good show well i reckon idiocracy is like his best film more than uh, office space he did another one called extract i think with ben affleck and stuff which isn't great it's got a pretty funny ben affleck perform ben affleck playing like the comedy uh comic relief which you probably don't really see ever but idiocracy i'll read you the blurb from the creator of beavis and butthead like he's another dude like matt and trey who are like just do one thing well like leave some for the rest of us you son of a bitch from Mike Judge, one of the creative minds who brought you Beavis and Butthead, King of the oh, and King of the Hill. Right. <laughs> I really forgot about that. As I was well. never a huge King of the Hill fan, but I you can appreciate. I, it. I can appreciate it. And you, it's somebody wrote the other day, like it, I was write, reading an article about like his type of um, you know satire and his type of comedy mm. and sort of you know the the way that. It, what it's really about and they were saying the only one that's really not that is like king of the hill which is just such a loving portrait of you know there's a genius of that sort of lifestyle that it's yeah. like not quite satirical it's not you know meant to be satirical but anyway yeah, he's go got on. He's, well, prior to this film prior to idiocracy when you think about 
you know, and Beavis Butthead aside, but if you look at his other two films in King of the Hill and Silicon Valley, they're not gaggy comedies necessarily, no. are they? It's just the it's just the the characters are so well drawn and the situations are so well drawn. And then when he puts those things into conflict, that's where the comedy comes from. It's such a like well, well he brilliant. seems to be good at understanding a group of people and how they might relate yeah, to each other. Politics. So and whether mechanics. they're like two like teenage, you know, metal fans or whether they're like a bunch of like hillbillies or they're a bunch of like, you know, IT people in Silicon or they're in like an office environment. He gets that like, his kind of comedy just lives in that space of he's this world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got it reminds me a bit of like Richard Linklater or even Daniel Klaus in that it's obser- observational comedy. He's very good at sort of identifying like the the funny or the absurd in the ordinary. Right. Uh, meet Joe Bowers, Luke Wilson. He's not, the sh- uh, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but when a government hibernation experiment goes awry, Bowers awakens in the year 20, uh, 2505 to find society is so dumbed down by mass commercialism and mindless TV programming that he's become the smartest guy on the planet. Now it's up to average Joe to get human evolution back on track. Filled with razor-sharp sarcasm and outrageous sight gags, Idiocracy will make you laugh out loud, whether you're absolute genius or a complete idiot. <laughs> well, the thing about this movie that, uh, and it's it's worth and the, then the last line is in the future, intelligence is extinct. Well, that's that's actually so. Ominous it turns out now. in the present, yeah, intelligence is extinct. The funny thing is, you the only thing he got wrong with the movie was he said it way too far in the future. <laughs> yeah, totally. You could read. You could read the the Enter the Vampire and it sounds like a comedy. You read the comedy of Idiocracy now in today's context and it sounds not so funny. Because, like, I was, during the whole election campaign, I wasn't the only one putting it out. But no, I was, it's, it's become a cliche to the point where you... Mike like, Judge has had to become, come out. And just gone, the world has become Idiocracy. And you're like, well, yeah, it has. And, and Mike Judge has come out and addressed it. And right. he sort of said, like, yeah, it's not funny anymore, unfortunately. No. Yeah, my thing was a comedy movie. Yeah. It wasn't meant to happen. I mean, literally, the president in 2505 is a porn star... Uh, former wrestler like gun nut who is essentially just this giant showman and idiot and it's hilarious at the time when you're watching at it because like how could a reality show a star a reality show star become president but yeah i mean there's still a lot to like about it i mean the big thing is like who would have thought that idiocracy would come true before terminator yeah, fuck i mean if i was going to guess between the two of them i would have definitely gone with terminator but it turns out well the funny thing about this film too is it was buried like they didn't yeah. i don't think they even released it actually buried they literally had to bury it so what i mean you always you always hear about things being ahead of their time was there ever going to be a right time for this because it's now it's not funny Back then, they felt it like no one would get it. So, is it just something that exists outside of the time continuum? It's one of those things that, like, uh, no, it was funny for about a year and a half when everyone thought that Trump wasn't going to win. Yeah, right. Yeah, in that sweet period (laughs) where it was funny that Donald Trump was running for president. Remember, like like a funny joke. It's really funny. It's like idiocracy, except now it's not funny anymore. (laughs) All right, last but not least, speaking of not funny anymore. Weekend at Bernie's. All right. We all know what this is. Uh, he's, uh, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman are sharing top uh, line credits there. Uh, Bernie may be dead, but he's still the life of the, the party. party. Which is a pretty good tagline. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like that. Um, all right. Here's the blurb from Weekend at Bernie's. What starts as a typical carefree holiday at the beach for two young insurance company employees turns into a few days of murder, mayhem, romance, and hilarious misadventures. 
I mean, that could be your back of fucking interview with the vampire as well. Yeah. What's, what's, what's lively at the... every holiday at the beach for two young vampires <laughs> turns into a few days of murder, mayhem, romance, and hilarious misadventures. Two stockbrokers from New York are among the li- are livelier than ever when Tom Cruise back. <laughs> Uh, Weekend at Bernie's stars Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman as enterprising employees who, having uncovered an elaborate sc- scheme of fraud and embezzlement at their company, Larry and Richard uh, McCarthy and Silverman, uh, are awarded their own special holiday at their boss's posh house at the Hamptons on Long Island. Being impressed by the perks at the end of the corporate ladder, the two friends are eager to participate in the social life of the Hamptons on Long Island. Wow, that's some bad blurb writing there. Really? They literally just said the Hamptons on Long Island twice in a row. But their boss, Bernie, is a successful businessman with a highly checkered background mm. and at a beach house party to end all summer social institutions, the guest of honour turns up dead. However, Richard and Larry continue to live with him without spoiling their vacation. Their vac- Larry and Richard continue <laughs> well to written. live with him without spoiling their, vac- their vacation with hilarious and startling results. There you go. Weekend at Bernie's. So, let's talk about it. Um, they go jet skiing with him. Yep. They sit on a, a, a banana lounge. They've got a string around his arm so he can wave to people. Yep. Like, okay, you can understand the pitch, why it might get people's attention. But the writers then have to go off and go, how many things can we do with a corpse before it gets a bit weird? Isn't there a bit where they whack his, the corpse's nuts in or something? Well, isn't that, isn't that in the water skiing? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's all, that's the water skiing scene. Yeah. I mean, is someone getting in the nuts once they're dead funny anymore? I mean, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently it is. I mean, they made a sequel, right? I would like to see someone remake, reboot Weekend at Bernie's, but I'm, do it like feels for like a real. perfect reboot. No, but do it for real. Oh, but do it like serious, it's an actual like a real serious corpse. Movie? Like two guys terrified out of their wits have to spend a weekend legging a corpse around. Round, <laughs> like a dark reboot with disturbing results. Disturbing results. <laughs> yeah, just like well, yeah, okay. Let's have a look at that as if it was a terror. Like we do it as a dark movie. Okay. What starts as a typical carefree holiday at the beach for two young insurance company employees turns into a few days of murder, mayhem, and misadventure. Fantastic. Okay, all right, yeah. that's good. Works. Um, two enterprising employees have uncovered an elaborate scheme of fraud and embezzlement. So now it's like a John Grisham novel, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at their company. Larry and Richard are awarded their own special holiday at their boss's posh house at the Hamptons. On Long Island. Yeah, that makes sense, right? It's like, they're the young, like, you know, those John Grisham things always have yeah, your Tom Cruise type character. Yeah, you're they're young, start working they're naive. For a company, you don't they start know. for the, yeah, they're doing something murky. Yeah. You uncover yeah. the thing that's murky, but it turns out what you've really done is picked apart a conspiracy where you're going to be the one who's going to end up dead. Yeah. So they send them out to the house, but this is where shit's going to go wrong. Being impressed by the perks at the end of the corporate ladder, the two are eager to participate. Okay, yeah, good. Still in drama. Uh, then their boss turns up dead. Still in drama. No comedy yet. Uh, he's he's a successful businessman with a highly checkered background. That's perfect for yeah. drama. Um, and at the beach out, beach, at what well, the end? You can still have the party. Yeah, of course. Right? You can still have the party. Yeah, like boogie nights. That party seems yeah. fun until the, the guy blows his brains dead. out. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, however, Larry and Richard continue to live with him without spoiling their vacation 
with startling results. See, that's interesting because then it becomes an exploration of their trauma over finding their boss dead. Right, like dead. they can't accept it. They're in denial so badly. Well, so, maybe they think they're going to be blamed for it. Or yeah. Something, well, right? I think they're that's what actually happens in the yeah. comedy version. Yeah, right? <laughs> you don't have to so change the word. They're literally just... Just find the right director. Give it to Lars von Trier. Say, Lars, we want you to do a dogma style shot for shot remake of Weekend at Bernie's. Lars von Trier's Weekend at Bernie's. Who do you cast as uh, Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy? So, what have they got to be? How old have they got to be? How old right, are they? Like, sort of. Like, you got to be high enough that you're. Like, late, th- late 20s. Late, late 20s, late, early late, 30s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. All right. So and but you've I think you've got to go for serious actors if we're doing the Lars von Trier version. You're not going for you know the, who are the funny actors. Yeah, you so want to go for like Ryan Gosling. Hey, Ryan Gosling would be good as yeah. the which one? Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, right. Because one of them's yeah. Ernest, isn't Jonathan Silverman? He's more like the shyster. Yeah, and Andrew McCarthy's like the Ernest one, right? Okay, maybe Did, I can't remember. Uh, I think really. it, yeah. Uh, all right, so we'll we'll have Goz as as the Ernest one, right? Because yeah. Goz is the earnest one. He's the pie-eyed optimist. Okay. Kind of like he's in the Ides of March. He's yeah. going into this expecting things, you know, he's, he's an honest guy. And then the shyster, you want an interesting kind of like a dark kind of, maybe like a Tom Hardy Tom or Hardy. Yeah. Tom Hardy <laughs> and Ryan Gosling. Weekend. Weekend at Bernie's. Except you reboot it with a different title. You just call it like The Weekend. Because that's nice and enigmatic. Something happens on that weekend. Yeah. And then people turn up. The they weekend. don't know it's a weekend at Bernie's. Lars von Trier remaking Weekend at Bernie's. Calls it the weekend. It has Tom Hart. Opens at calm. Yes. <laughs> Halfway through, people are like, this reminds me of something reminds else. Like some other movie. I can't. Is that Corpse Water Skiing? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the hard part. How do you dramatically you do the water skiing shoot. corpse scene? But like no, you just gotta. You like, gotta do the same scenes. Yeah. You don't have to do the same. That's no, a scene by scene, but scene by scene, scene but by not, scene remake, but not line by line. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think that's something along the lines of well, why is he water skiing in the comedy version? No, I don't know. You just gotta adapt it. Um. All right. Well, I like that. Okay. All right. That's we, it. We should, we should finish up. Uh, if, so we'll post Let's, this. We'll do a recap, shall we? So for people playing at home, you can write down the names of the films, and then you can attribute a little W or a little C to work out. Which is which. Okay, so... You're not talking into the microphone, by the way. Uh, I am talking into it now. All right, so the films are Bridesmaids, Jacob's Ladder, Honeymoon in Vegas, Interview with the Vampire, Batman Returns, Clerks, Weekend at Bernie's, Predator and Idiocracy. First person to identify who's the who's... uh, And post it on the Facebook page. And post it on the Facebook page. They received my five of them. Yeah, well done. Well done. Congratulations to where you are. Do you think someone will do it? I think they might. I mean, how hard can it be? You know what you shouldn't do? Like, just let a few people guess first, and then, and they haven't won, you know you need to change the combo around a bit. Well, that doesn't really help you because there's so many DVDs. You know what? Just have a crack. We don't, we don't know what the system is. No. Nah. We have no idea what the system how is do we, Well, what we need to do, Mike Howell, when this episode goes up... Can you just put a little, can you do the first comment underneath the episode and you put it up and just saying, guys, put your guesses below? That's yeah. probably the best thing to do. Yeah, that'd that be way everyone can do. go. Check yeah, them all out. everyone can guess. And then we can just go through and see who guessed best. Yeah, if um, you want to waste some more time when you're online, go yeah. to our Patreon page. That's, Patreon. A, good, that's a better place. <laughs> 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 go there first. Forward Forget slash, this stupid DVD thing. <laughs> forward slash TOEFUP. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Um, um, if you're new listeners, it's just a way you can support our show. Go to the website. There's a video there. It'll explain everything. If I you're th- a new listener, we don't do this every week. Yeah. <laughs> We don't. It's not the DVD podcast. Uh, we've also got uh, uh, another podcast called Two Guys, One Cup, which is an AFL podcast. Uh-huh. If you're not into AFL, 
it shouldn't preclude you necessarily from listening to this. Well, apparently it doesn't. Yeah. Some I, well, I get a lot of feedback from people who uh, who aren't in AFL who listen to the podcast, and I've got a bit of feedback from some people who weren't previously in AFL, but since listening to the podcast are now a bit more into AFL. So, yeah. I mean, you can make your own decisions. It's a about- similar flavour. Like, I think last week we talked about a player on Wikipedia for about 40 minutes. We it's like didn't get this, to the results. But about football. <laughs> yeah. And some of the people, it turns out, don't like this. But anyway, whatever. Uh that also has a Facebook page, Two Guys One Cup. Um, you can check us out on Twitter, on uh, Instagram. We have an Instagram page. Uh, will you got shows? Yeah, yeah. So Wagga still left on the tour. By the time people hear this, I will have just been in the Newcastle area, uh, and then Montreal just for last festival. That's the end of July. Those tickets are on sale. I'm doing six uh, of my show, Critically Will, six shows, uh, which is. Uh, six times more shows than I n- normally do there. Uh, and I'm not sure that my... Well, normally they let me do one show. Right. One whole show on my own and then a bunch of spots around town. Okay. And then this year they're like, nah, six. Max it out. So, yeah, well, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> please help me max please, it out. Please help me max it out. Tell your friends. Uh, come along if you're in the area. That'd be really cool. We also have a spiffy new website, uh, tofop.com, uh, where you can find not just this podcast, not just Two Guys, One Cup, but uh, We also Fofop. have a spoofy new website. That's Tofop. <laughs> Fop.com. Come. That was going to be a better joke. Sorry. Uh, but you can check it out. Uh, find all things Tofop on that website. And that's about it. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Oh.